Hello and welcome to the In The Can podcast. My name is Devin and today I'm with... James. And Tom. Uh, Jenny's not here this week. Uh, she'll be coming back next week. Uh, but with that said, how are you guys doing today? Pretty good. Uh, kind of feeling a bit down because of the weather earlier today, but then it cleared up. Yeah, it was pretty rainy f- throughout the weekend. Yeah, overall, not too bad. You know, I had uh, seen some good movies this weekend, so... I only saw one movie this week. Uh, otherwise, I'm catching up on some TV and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I got to watch Chernobyl, so that was good. I've heard a, good things about yeah, that. It was good. I liked it. I won't say a whole lot. There's a lot of spoilers, so... Fair. Um, yeah, but it was good. I've heard, concerning the interest I have in history in Russia, particularly, a lot of, a lot of my friends have been saying that, oh, you should check this one out. Yeah, it was surprisingly well done. Very good acting. I don't, I don't remember the the names of a lot of the actors, but like Stalin Skarsgård was in it. He was pretty good. And other people you'd recognize from other things, but I heard it was pretty hot. Totally. <sighs> Take a drink uh, for bad puns. Not <laughs> <laughs> enough alcohol in the world there, Devin. Mmm, <laughs> guava rum. Don't know if that's a good combo, and yeah, we don't have a bartender this week, so huh. yeah, <laughs> it's well, hard to tell. She, yeah. you know, she was busy actually being a bartender. Oh, that's weird. I know, right? Your work sucks. So I will have to ask, what movie did you see, Devin? I well, I saw one of the big ones that came out this past weekend. Uh, did anyone see any other movies that we could talk about before jumping into that? I have not seen anything. Nothing that's currently in theaters. All right. I watched a bunch of documentaries on... Is there a reason for that, or...? Prep for another one of our episodes. Got it. Maybe next week. Okay. Yeah, maybe next week. <laughs> All right. But no, it's, I, I just haven't had the time because of work. Yeah, I've been doing... Or work in the basement, uh, where we used to do our our podcasts actually being renovated, so that's why, again, we're upstairs, mm-hmm. complete with a groovy lava lamp. Yeah! Well, why that has been taking that has been catching my eye more than it probably should. It's been so I've been talking for two hours. Anyway, uh, yeah, the big movie that came out this week, or quote unquote big movie that came out this week, is Men in Black International. Yep. The only thing I bothered seeing this weekend. Same time. I was interested. Yeah, it it was fine. <laughs> and that and that's kind of what I was expecting. It's say whatever you want. The first one's still the best one in my opinion. Two is really good. But I, I didn't see three because I'm kind of like, why? And this one seems like a fun romp just because it's somewhere else. Kind of like what they were doing with the animated show. Yeah. But I don't I didn't expect anything groundbreaking like the first go around. This one, I liked the chemistry between uh, Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson that we saw before. And that's kind of the bigger, one of the bigger draws for me. I mean, they did play well off each other. Um, my boy Liam Neeson didn't disappoint in the few kind of scenes he's that he in was like in. four scenes. He's in like the, the beginning and then they kind just of awkwardly scenes. cut to, nah, years later. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> well, that was weird. It was like a laugh into a burp. Awesome. But he was like in the first scene or two and then just not there for like half an hour and then he's like, oh yeah, he's here too and yeah, he's the boss. That's fair. I mean, I... I mean, I didn't say in a big part in the movie at all. Um, I did like the fact that uh, this does give homage to the older films, or to the other films. One painting that they awkwardly point out in one scene? (laughs) Yeah, but it's like the big one from the very first film. 
Yeah, they they show the bug, a picture of them fighting the bug in the first movie. Wait, Wait it's like the list. picture. It's like a it's like a painting that's oh. memorializing them, but someone like randomly walks over and, and like looks at it and goes, huh, and then walks away. It's like that felt awkward and kind of out of character. Yeah, why not like, just have a slow pan across it while another scene's actually taking place? Yeah, they eventually like go to show because uh, Liam Neeson and Chris Hemsworth characters used to be partners, much like J and K in the original. Men in Black, but they went after something. It almost got bad, and then they cut away from it, like Godzilla style. And then they cut to a different storyline. But um, they like have that memorialized where they, you know, they took down the big bad with nothing but their wits and their special seventy gun or whatever. And yeah, series seventy atomizer. Yeah, and it's like that's it. Okay, <laughs> but it's like a running running joke through the entire movie and it's like mm, okay that's not obvious but okay so i guess the big question is worth the time yeah it it's a good popcorn movie it's so it's basically exactly what i was expecting i'm gonna have fun i'm gonna enjoy the byplay and don't expect anything groundbreaking right yeah go in there expecting to have a, a enjoyable time overall and just not have to ho- think a whole lot about what you're watching you know what sometimes that's all i need yeah it to me the coolest part of the entire movie by far was the villains yeah the, they're like it's hard to explain they're not black holes but they're like nebula nebulous like star systems kind of yeah that kind of look like amoebas that are like celestial looking but they're like dark black figures in like this kind of weird ethereal thing but they can form into people so when they shoot them you get that kind of like weird effect i'm like that's awesome i absolutely love these characters more of them please less of whatever else is going on in this movie more of them it reminds me a lot of um what's the character stardust or whatever from uh uh marvel sunspot no, it's the uh, uh, the one who's one of the heralds of Galactus. Oh, I know what you're talking yeah. about. Where it's just a, a galaxy looking at you. Yes. Yeah, that's kind of what this looked like. Yeah, that, you know they showed them in the in one of the trailers where Hemsworth's character blasts them, and then they kind of reverse time, and it's like that's never happened. Yeah, they before. reform, and they're like they turn solid metal or solid matter into liquid, and then back to back to um, solid matter. Like, that is really cool, but... Yeah, they can, uh... Every, everything else about the story kind of just fell flat to me. Yeah. Like they're, they have large Cantobite-type storylines, like, from the, like, Last Jedi, that just ultimately don't really go anywhere. Yeah. They get a little uh, MacGuffin gem thing that turns into a nuclear gun, and they have it, they test it for some reason, the most powerful weapon of all time, and they just... Yeah, sure. Let's point it at the desert and pull the trigger. Oh, yeah. The scene. Wow. Trailer. Okay. That's... You two are supposed to be at least somewhat smart. Screw that. No. Terrible idea. Fire a nuke into the desert. Okay. Well, the, the only reason... Yeah. Well, they, you know what? It, I think they're trying to play with the the that one scene from the first one with the noisy cricket. Um, but the thing is, the noisy cricket... You Jay, didn't, Jay didn't yeah. know, like none of no one expected it. So the fact that Kay was reacting so violently, it's like, don't ever point that at me. Yeah. Was, was like, okay, you, estab- you established that this is going to be used, but not now. This in uh, international, they get this little gem thing, 
they fiddle with it and then opens up into like this obvious giant like BFG. Yeah, it's basically a BFG, and they're like, cool. Uh, maybe we turn it down a little bit. Okay, yeah, let's try it. You want to try it? Okay. Yeah, let's put it at the 1% setting. And then they fire it, and it blows up, like, a whole bunch of desert. And it's like, uh, you just said this is the most most dangerous weapon in all the universe. And this is the universe, not just this planet. Like, yeah, essentially it's containing, like, the power of a star. And it's like, yeah, let's just test it, sure. But then that gets stolen by something. Of course, and it does. they have like a fifteen to twenty minute storyline of them trying to get it back, and it's like so easy for them that they just get it back. And it's like, oh, we have it now, and that whole storyline just goes nowhere. Yeah, and I it's mean, like, oh, there's that uh, one of my Ferguson's favorite characters thrown in there for no reason. She has like one half-ass fight scene and then just is gone. It's yeah, like, although not gonna lie, one of my favorite characters easily is uh, well-known Johnny's. Uh, character I, I, Pawnee. I liked Pawnee. I thought Pawnee was really cool. The little chess pawn. That, oh, that thing! I thought he was cool, and I I liked the visual look of the blue hamster that cut that caught me on there. But yeah, I'm like, oh, so you're just Ron Perlman in blue? Okay. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh, it's not Ron Perlman. No, 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 okay. Yeah. yeah. But you you look Ron Perlman in red, so I mean, what's the problem? Yeah. Like <laughs> I thought he looked cool. It just the character was like, I'm bodyguard for Rebecca Ferguson. Okay, well, she's not really important to the story. And neither am I. And then you find out, oh, he's more important than Rebecca Ferguson's character? Yeah. For this one scene that, like, well, that's convenient. And that's just how the whole movie was. It was like... The worst part is, is, like, the second you see his character on screen, you sit there and go, I see what's coming. Yeah. It's, like, like slow-pitched a mile off, and you're just like, hmm. Let me set up the bat here. But then it's slow uh, pitched while sitting on a T. Oh, but also the nebula, (laughs) the nebula villains. I'll say, kind of just die. Yeah, like you expect them to be the big bads of the movie, and they 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 don't even scroll them and make them an interesting storyline. They're just like, we are here for thing and blah, and then just gone. It's like you. All right, you know what? I won't lie. I, when I saw the trailers and I saw I saw that one, I the same thought I was like, "Oh my god, that's so cool!" But then I honestly was kind of expecting a Borg-like storyline. See, I I wanted it more. I wanted it more like the bug from the first Men in Black. It was the ultimate threat. It was the threat that lingered through the entire movie, instead of the casual throwaway joke or line early in the movie that is. There is a mole in Men in Black. And then it's like, they keep saying that. And it's like, well, you've introduced two characters in Men in Black. One is obviously the villain, you, you, the guy you want us not to like. I wonder who it's going to be. And it's like, oh, come on. There's a total of two named characters or lettered characters in London Men in Black. One is obviously a setup. Yeah, I'm I sorry. Wonder. But when you sit there and you tell me that the character's name is Agent C. Ah, the bad joke. To me, the the problem I had with that is, like, the opening scene with uh, Liam Neeson and Chris Hemsworth going after, quote-unquote, the hive, the most dangerous thing of all time. And they're, uh, they're start to see it come out of the portal, and they, like, rack their gun and start firing, and then it cuts to, like, 
a different scene I'm and like 18 years later or whatever I'm like wait or it cuts to like 18 years ago and uh, Tessa Thompson's character uh, Agent M's history and I'm like oh okay so one of them is evil <laughs> and it's like you don't show the big fight in your opening scene it's like oh I think from the side of it they didn't even do something fun like what Guardians of the Galaxy 2 did yeah, because there was there was the big fight in the background, but you were focused on on group being yeah group. they they had, and like they could have done something, but they just we're, we'll save our the hive is coming back. Don't worry, and I'm like, well the hive's obviously coming back. Yeah, like you can't just set that up and have a whole scene like building up how evil the hive is, and then never mind we have these cool nebula villains now. It's like but yeah, and the the worst part is is like the hive is introduced as like this major threat and then they just kind of like nonchalantly just go oh yeah they were being it's like no they weren't one of you two is the hive <laughs> yeah it all it almost makes me think it's like you probably should have had the fight because what's one of the big thing that Kay says to Jay in the first one it's like there's always some alien threat there's always a destruction of the planet coming going yeah. on and you have that and then you just treat it as another day in the office instead of the pickup <laughs> That's going to be the entire big bad throughout the storylines. It kind of solidifies is, that. It was like, it was always a threat, but they defeated the threat. <laughs> so it's like, well, everyone believes they defeated the threat, so they're not a threat, <laughs> right? But so obviously now it's the still new, a threat. Now the new Nebula villains are coming in, trying to kill this other random character to get this random apparently giant weapon for the hive and i'm like oh okay so they're they're gonna scroll this and be like no we're the good guys you know trying to get the weapon to defeat the hive finally and then they momentarily said that's what they're doing but then they kill the two and it's like oh uh, okay and do you want to guess who kills that kills the two i don't think i care anymore okay leave me some <laughs> and it's like liam neeson and the men of black just show up randomly and defeat the two Completely unannounced and completely like without any warning, and it's like, oh. And then the explanation okay. as to how and why they were there is just kind of like, oh, this thing happened. Okay, cool. Anyways, it's, moving on. It's you are like, so predictable. Really, her? Yeah. And then like, like they move on so they can finish up the story, and then they have a fight with the hive, and it's a very simple fight. <laughs> yep. Where the only reason they live is because of that that little pawn character has a grap has two grappling hooks. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> Sure. Yep. Uh, and sounds, uh, it it just kind of like it sounds poorly structured. It's very poorly structured. And a line from uh, the beginning of the movie just keeps on playing out repeatedly over and over and over again. The C. The some the, no the sometimes uh, you're in the exact place at the exact time you need to be with uh, in the universe so, where you need to be. Which is any writers out there never use that as your reason. That is a lazy as hell reason. You just happen to be in the right place for me to conveniently give you something is the most like logically ridiculous reason for something to happen in a movie. Yep, because they do that. Says so, but you could have you can have a character believe that, and then everyone else kind of rag on them. Yeah, you just That's can't have thing. it actually happen repeatedly. Contrived coincidence, I think, is the yeah. term. And the to me the um, there's like yeah the conveniences are a problem. Um, Pawnee was cool. Sure, got his moment saving the queen, quote unquote. To me, like one of the biggest kind of issues with the the story, or kind of the issue with the the pacing of the movie, 
is when they're going back and the whole fight with the hive both of them take place in um paris in in the eiffel tower because there's nothing nothing else in paris yeah, they're they going up I hate paris and he keeps saying that he beat the hive with only his wits and his series 70 deatomizer after a little while I'm like oh okay so he was de- he was neuralized got it by liam neeson because it's the only other person around got it okay cool and they don't do anything with it like they don't have him you neuralized me they just have him like okay with it yep accept it move on like this dude completely messed your mind he told you that you beat this big thing not only that from what what you're saying it's like they were partners for a good while yeah yeah they were partners he you were the rookie he took you on you were the big up and comer partners mentors yeah again wanted you to be the next leader the whole k the whole k and j thing we're talking yeah yeah but imagine if k like after five years of working with each other neuralized him and like made him this just dumbass character. I will say that like, was the thing that was oof. bugging me the most in in the trailers is the fact that Hemsworth characters seem kind of dopey. He does, and I I wanted them to like they they had a scene where they landed in the middle of a desert and they just had like this kind of nonsense talk that didn't really go anywhere. I wanted that to be when he realizes what's hap- what happened. Because then like he could actually be like stewing in it and try to figure out what happened yep and that would just be a more interesting character arc for him well yeah because whatever you want, want to say about him like jay's character wasn't dopey he was naive to the world and but he was a street cop yeah he was a he was the beat cop so essentially he goes from being like the number one rookie the greatest up-and-comer to being chris hemsworth and ghostbusters I won't lie that I felt I felt a lot of that seeing his like stuff. A down and out, but also like still super attractive dude. Yeah, like, who's like borderline that like dumb jock I can use myself for my body only type thing. Yeah. And I like to go out and party all the time. That's what I do. Oh, so why well, he'll figure Tatum's out his how- character from Golden Circle. Yeah. Exactly. And it's like Okay. Or his character before he decides to actually, like, wise up and start doing something right in 21 Jump Street. Oh, crap. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. it's like... Wow, that's not fun. No. Like, I would love to see... This This movie had, like, potential. And I wanted them to kind of capitalize on it. Because I really did like Tessa Thompson's arc. Mm-hmm. Where she... Avoid, her, the ner- avoid neuralization when she was young. Yeah, her parents saw... Insert name of alien, furry blue alien. And they got neuralized, but she was upstairs, quote unquote, asleep. Saw saw them get neuralized. Looked over, saw the animal. The animal said something that could have easily meant something important, but instead it's like, that's my enemies. But okay, it's like, oh, sure. Yeah, it could have been the dude's name. Dude's name would have been better. Yeah. Because she just introduces herself, but whatever. Um... And then, like, now she has, like, this vendetta wanting to find out these people who wear black suits and ultimately tracks down and infiltrates the men in black. I'm like, that is so cool. That is so much more interesting than, like, Chris Hemsworth's character's arc. But the thing is, 
they could have actually made that interesting from what you're saying. Yeah, and her her story arc was interesting, and his could have been as as interesting if he learned what happened. But instead, they're like in the elevator going up to fight him, and oh, I guess I was neuralized. Oh, okay, and just drop it. Like they didn't delve into it. They they he might have said you neuralized me and then shot him, but it's like make him make you realize why he was the up and comer and not. A like, dumb surfer boy. Yeah, like ha- have that questioning kind of unblock the fact that he was he was a professional up and comer. Yeah, kind of the K. Yeah, you were the chosen one. <laughs> Don't do it, Anakin. I have the high ground. Oh, <laughs> it's all shut up, Qui-Gon. You neuralize. Wait a minute. <laughs> that's essentially all I can think of. <laughs> like, that's that's how I think of like hearing what the. That how that conversation would go is, damn it, Qui Gon, why did you neuralize me? <laughs> and, and him going, because you were the chosen one, and we can't have that here. No, but yeah, ultimately it it was fun. It was dumb as hell. There are a lot of moments where you're just like, well, this is really obvious that this is what's going on, but nobody notices it. And to me, they squandered the 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 villain. I thought the two Dabari villain or whatever they're called, I think Dabari yeah. are from Dark Phoenix, but whatever. Um, the two like Nebula villains are awesome, and I wish those were the actual villains yeah. of the movie. Instead of just, let's just make Liam Neeson a giant cockroach again with more tentacles. Yeah. It's like, yeah, okay, <gasps> I really would have liked to... Um, I, I, one of the things I have to say is, is I, I like all the like references to the previous Men in Black thing. So we had the worms. We get to see them. Frank randomly there. Frank was randomly there. Uh, we get to see the entrance, the original entrance to the MIB New York. She turns down the portal. Or she, turns down the noisy cricket. Yep, she turns down the noisy cricket. Because uh, she's like, mm, no. And then she picks up a bigger gun. He's like, yeah, yeah, this, yeah. Yeah. We're good. Which, to be fair, was the same thing Jay wanted. Yeah, and I... I and I like I liked her character, but she was too smart too. Like she knew too much that probably was a little bit above just a civilian's pay grade, right? Like, but also too, I mean, like she was on that like borderline conspiracy theory nut. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm I'm kind of almost saying as like a little too smart for a civilian's pay grade, but on the other hand, doesn't that kind of show the determination that would be needed to a- infiltrate? Yeah, I mean, because, like, yeah, the, she she does go it's through a, the it's whole... A, it's a fine line. I will 100% agree with you on that. She does go through the whole montage of trying to go to the FBI, the CIA, and join those government agencies and go, oh, you have to check which box you want to belong to. And she goes, I made my own box. The box that doesn't have a name. But then she doesn't know the name of the thing she's trying to break into. Well, it's not that she didn't know what they were called. It was she didn't put it on the government application because they're not supposed to exist. Yeah. It, I'll definitely say, again, it's a fine line between determined and following every conspiracy theory, and you've just been reading from the script, haven't you? Yeah, and it, it, was, it was odd every once in a while. She'll, like, I don't think she actually knew how to speak to the one... To like a few of these aliens, but she kept mentioning she knows alien languages. Yeah. I'm like, how do you know those are a thing? Like those, I, I mean, I can go on the internet and find out different languages, but when they well, come to like full on alien languages, remember like, when they show her training thing? It shows alien language, uh, whatever, ninety five percent. Yeah, and for it's testing. Like, I'm like, and you're like, 
This is before she's even in. Yeah, like, this is her probationary period. How? Like, this is before her probation. This is, like, before they even say yes. And they're, like, all of the tests. I'm like, wait, how does she know, like, the customs of aliens and all this? It's like, sure, I'll... Whatever, I can believe it, but... Yeah. Wow. That's I, a lot oh, of... Oh, and then... A lot I, of... Yeah. My, my other favorite one, to be honest with you, of the callbacks is she uses the uh like national inquirer or whatever to find oh yeah all those old things it's like yeah, all, all the alien things and whatnot going on and all that yeah, yeah. That's, that's kind of funny yeah yeah i was like and i that. like the description about why they can like have giant airplane or like crashes is that they put up holographic like like streets yeah they showed that in the trailers I was yeah like, wow that looks cool but they actually like es- explain why the men in black can go in do their thing and then get out without anyone remembering. It's because anyone that does see it, they neuralize, but they put up, like, like uh, holograms, so... To cover, yeah. Yeah, and they actually deal with that, and they, you see them go through the holograms a few times. I'm like, that's cool. Yep. Yeah, so the worst thing is, it sounds like they had a, a lot of stuff that they did actually cover. Yeah. And then just a lot of stuff where they're like, gosh, let's do this, guys. Uh, the term sequelitis has popped up a lot this summer, because, um, like, the last three or four weeks has been pretty mediocre as far as the the big sequel blockbusters uh dark phoenix definitely had this oh my god like endgame kind of avoided that but there's been definitely a lot of these movies this this year that's just kind of like retreads and you know just needing to be bigger or diff like trying to be different the big thing with the big reason i think endgame avoided that is because it was the topper to a decade-long arc they told a story and they and they actually finished something yeah. to me they told a full story instead of like having a few different writers that told their own stories like i feel like the the hive all of liam neeson and the hive that was one writer wanting to do his thing um and then you have all the stuff with the cool villain and then all the stuff like the the men in black coming after chris hemsworth and tessa thompson in marrakesh that all felt like a different writer. And then almost all the dialogue that came out of Pawnee felt like a different writer. And it just felt like they had a bunch of ideas for sequels and just crammed it into one. Yeah. Oh, never so, had an idea. No. <laughs> it was kind of similar with uh, Dark Phoenix last week, where it's like, you could tell there's a bunch of different ideas that they crammed together. A lot of hands together touched and it. So Godzilla. Godzilla, same thing. They had the human story that they wanted to tell. And they could have probably done a whole movie focused solely on the humans with the monsters in the background doing their thing. And it probably would have made a better movie. Or you have an entire movie focused on Godzilla with the humans in the background doing their thing. But it's focused on Godzilla and would have been a better movie. I almost think that like should have been is where you don't touch, you don't focus on the humans at all, but they're still doing stuff. Yeah. And then does have Godzilla or the monsters react to that. That would have been kind of interesting. Yeah. And like follow the, one of the monsters, the opposite side of that, you have, like, if you focused on, um, Millie Bobby Brown and Kyle Chandler and the, the humans, you would get a movie similar to Cloverfield. That is I was completely just from, their point of view or War of the Worlds that is completely from Ray Farrier's view. And whatever else you want to say about those two movies, it worked very well. Yeah, it worked very well because they limited the amount of amount of storylines that you can go down, so they focused their storyline, which is what Godzilla needed to do, which is what Dark Phoenix, which is what 
uh, Men in Black. I won't lie, it's this is a, a slight uh, turn off, but and a direction change. But it's also why I don't care much for books in third person nowadays. Okay, it's because when you do that, you tend to focus on about three or four other characters, and you've got a bunch of stuff going on. I prefer a first-person one because, like you said, I only know exactly what this character knows. I know all their thoughts, their feelings on everything, and it influences the story, and I'm, here, I'm reading it from their perspective, so I'm getting their perspective about everything. Yeah. And I think a more focused story like that, because you can't have... If you've got three or four characters you're following, it's very easy to kind of get lost in the details of, well, this was explained with this character, so I don't have to technically explain it with this character, even though if I don't explain with this character, how do they know five hours down the road? You have a lot of problems in movies, and maybe not particularly any of the three that I just mentioned, but you get a lot of problems with characters quoting back lines from other characters that were set in different scenes. Uh, you notice that quite a bit in these kind of like big blockbuster movies where... The ironic um, echo kind of thing. Yeah, like they'll, they'll say... Say Tony Stark saying, I am Iron Man at the end. If he said, I am inevitable or something, but he wasn't in, or if he said, I am inevitable and clicked his fingers, he wasn't on Titan earlier in the movie when they went after Thanos. And he, and other than I think Thanos re repeating that right there, it Tony Stark any... would never have any context to say that. Yeah, which is yeah. why it worked better that he said, I am Iron Man. Yeah. He's kind of just a giant middle finger. Which I think that worked really well. But if he was to say, I am inevitable, it would still get that, yeah, but then like it would fall down once you think, wait, he was never in that scene. And that's where Men in Black, Dark Phoenix, Godzilla, they have stuff like that. They reference things that they couldn't know or they... They, like, will purposely hide things from you that you obviously know are true. To and that's, again, that's going back to the book analogy. That's why I like the first-person view. It's like, <laughs> I only know what this character knows, and consequently, the story has to be built around, okay, what does this character know, and how do the other people react and interact when they're not dealing with this character since everything's actually still moving the same way? Yeah. It's, why, it's why I like a focused story on one character. Like, I... I've seen a couple scenes of it, but what's that one that Children of Men? Children of Men. Yeah, like those 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 long shot scenes mm -hmm. where you're following the one character yeah, and you're seeing everything. Clive Owen's point of view. Yeah, exactly. Like those are very impactful because I know exactly what he does. I know the stakes. I know what's happening, and I see him react. And I'm like, I'll see something maybe five or six blinks ahead of him, and it's like, oh crap. How's he going to react to this? Yeah. And I like that a lot more. Actually, uh, Harry Potter does that really well, too. Yeah. That you know what? Don't yeah. see, other than Voldemort scenes, and the occasional, like, beginning of the book or beginning of the movie with, like, Snape or Voldemort, you see almost everything from, from, from the Harry's point of view. Yeah. And yeah, it, it's surprisingly done well, and that's kind of why it, I think it works and holds up so well. Is <laughs> your, it's... In the third person, which again I'm kind of not going with, or as it has to be in the in the movies, but you're still following Harry. Yeah. And because of that, it's a lot more streamlined. Things make sense, and when there's a callback later on, you understand why there was that callback. Yeah. Yeah. the The last last few weeks have been pretty disappointing as far as 
blockbusters go. Yeah. I think uh, I don't think it's going to be letting up anytime soon, though. Well, I don't well, know. This week, we have Toy Story. And wow, was I getting glowing reviews. Mm-hmm. And I... I loved the first Toy Story. It the animation doesn't hold up as well as it should. No, it but, doesn't. But for what it was, that first big that ground, CG that movie, broke ground. That was oh yeah, un- unbelievable. That change that it consider and considering how quickly they had to do it when their original story was kind of mm-hmm. meh, like the the behind the scenes on Toy Story is fascinating. Yeah, the the way they designed like created the CG reminds me of like how they have tried to figure out how to do. That, to do the dinosaurs in uh, Jurassic Park. It's very similar. It that. is completely revolutionary the way they did it. They basically had to build up from scratch. They did have to build up yeah. from scratch. And it's amazing that they were able to accomplish something that still, as a story, stands the test of time. Yeah. First, I don't see that not being a classic. First Toy Story is great. Absolutely. Yeah. It's one of my absolute favorite movies. Yeah. To me, uh, the series gets better as it goes on. I think two was great. I loved two. Two was better than one, I think. Yeah, I I genuinely like two better than one, and I love three. Three is one of my favorite Pixar's up there with Wall-E, and three is one of those that it's because of how well written, and you could tell how much care and thought they put into the movie. Like all mm-hmm. the, they finally added texture into everything, so like the. Well, like, lie going back and looking at looking side by side the text the textures alone whole different feel yeah. seeing how shiny everything is versus actually seeing the texture of stuff yeah yeah it's it's crazy and i'm really looking forward to four yeah uh, just genuinely out of curiosity it's one of those and i'm like that's i never expected them to make a four but from everything i hear it's it might not be the best but it is fully like it is it like brings up the question of how they become sentient and it brings up a bunch of questions i'm like this is this sounds deeper than i thought it would be so yeah i i've got i got my own dilemma i'm gonna have to deal with with that i've not seen three because i feel two ended on a good enough note and yes it ends on a bittersweet note but i like the happiness that was in two to me i the ending of three with uh the toys going to bonnie it yeah it's bittersweet but i think it's one of the most just it's just a smart ending. The kid's old now. He's it's realistic. No, it, it, it's a realistic. It's a realistic ending, and I'm, yeah. I'm not. I'm not downplaying. I always. I always joke as like, oh, I didn't know they made a, th- a third Toy Story, or with this, it's like, why are they making a fourth when they never made a three? I joke about that all the time, but it's like I've heard nothing but good things, and the, the little bit I have seen, it's like, yes, it's very good. But again, from just a personal standpoint, yeah. two ended on on a happy note, and more and more often, I it seems like movies that. <laughs> do great stories tend to end on either an absolute downer or like with three a bit more bittersweet but understandable one and i don't know maybe there's that that kid in me that just want to has it wants to have a happy end don't want to have to give up your toys basically yeah it's like kind of kind of want to has that kind of want to have that you know what no this is a nice happy ending i'm gonna stop here enjoy the rest of the ride guys yeah so so whether i'm i'm if i see it I'm going to have to go back and see three, and there's a big part of me that just doesn't want to do it. To me, I three is one of those that I like. I'll admit I don't remember most of the first half of the movie. It's yeah, just, I'm in the same boat. It was good. It was, it's just not like it's not phenomenal. Sticking. But once they get to, you know, like 
Uh, were they in like a foundry? What? What? It looked like an orphanage, or they go to an orphanage because, like, I think he puts all the boxes or he puts all the toys in a box or something, and the the mom accidentally takes it to like a Salvation Army. Not a Salvation Army to like donate it to like a kindergarten or something. Mm-hmm. I think it was an incinerator. Like it was just a. Uh, like trash disposal. I'm trying to figure out how they get from like the the kindergarten to the the incinerator. Right. <laughs> I was like, like, that was a hell of a jump when I saw the trailer. So I was like, wait, what? Yeah, yeah I don't and, remember to be honest with you. Oh, uh, the evil strawberry smelling bear. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know he has something to do with it, but yeah, he like tricks him into. Well, you say tricks, but it's very obvious even from the trailers that he was the bad guy. Oh yeah, and that all of these kind of have that that. Oh no no no! I I I argue the prospect from two. He was he was the yeah. obvious one was Al. He was the he was the twist. Yeah, and they played that great. Yeah, and then young Frank Castle or whatever the the brothers or the the neighbor's name was in the first Sid Sid, Sid right yeah with an Al. He just looks Castle. like Frank Castle. Look at his shirt. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's the punisher. Yeah, he's man. the wait. He's the kindergarten. <laughs> teacher or something like that. No, he's the uh, he is in the third as the uh, trash guy. I know he pops up. He's yeah. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. Anyway, they um but they end up in an incinerator and it's like the time where you're all of a sudden like, wait, are they actually gonna just incinerate all the toys? Because I'm like, in the theater I'm like, wait, how they don't really have any one that's not in this in this thing with them. (laughs) TPK. TPK. Yeah, I'm like, TPK. Wait, are they actually just gonna TPK all of the toys? Holy crap, that would be ballsy. And then yeah, the the claw comes in. I'm like, oh right, duh, great, awesome. That claw. But like, it's a perfect callback to both. I think it was one and two, and it's like oh, yeah. perfect callback. Completely forgot about it. Makes perfect sense that they'd have like the the claws in the the giant incinerator vat. I'm like, yeah, that yeah, that makes sense. Duh. <laughs> but that actually sounds kind of funny. But the toys holding hands and deciding this is the end for us and uh, accepting. I yeah, I remember seeing. Yeah, they it wasn't the trailers, it. but I saw something that yeah. somebody it's like, wow, oh, that's I don't want to watch like, this. <laughs> and ultimately, they get saved in all this, and it's like, whoa, damn, okay, cool. Holy crap, that was intense, but wow. And then, yeah, the, the whole ending with uh, Andy giving his toys over to a the young girl. The passing of the torch. And it's one of those that, you know, I've had to do that. I've, I've gotten rid of my my childhood toys, sure, and had connections with them and all that. So it, it was like, yeah, this is the passing of the torch. And now the next movie is Bonnie is the... The kid. We've gone back to Toy Story One, and now I believe Andy ha- or uh, Woody has Andy and Bonnie on his feet, and it's like that ghost of Andy's still there. And I'm like, that's I don't know. It's just one of those that I'm really curious to see what they do. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm excited for this one. Well, I, I also well, another big reason why I didn't want to see three is because I knew that was coming, and it's like, well, Jesse's getting screwed over again. Mm. And it's like, I didn't want to see that. Mm. Like, she had a happy ending in two, goddammit. I've heard a little bit about four, that some of the secondary characters like Rex and and Jesse and all those kind of get get a little bit of screen time, but not a lot. And I'm like, 
there's a lot of characters and there's a bunch of new characters that get they end up in like an antique antique place and I'm like that's cool I'm, I'm interested yeah. uh, I'm curious to see how Key and Peele do so yeah. I'm like they seem a little off but uh, Keanu Reeves' Duke Kaboom looks fun <laughs> yeah. I won't lie every time I, I hear that I just think that Duke think- Kaboom <laughs> I think some more is I th- I, I I think of Dick Kickham, <laughs> which was really it's, it's, it's so stupid. Well, when I first saw it, I originally misread it and thought it said Duke Nukem. We already have one of those that the like bodybuilder toy in one of them with the uh, weird like blonde hair. Yeah, he was in the first one because he he yeah. pulled the shoot. Yeah. He pulled the, he pulled the, well, the there was, Yeah. Well, there was the bodybuilder one, and then there was like the He Man looking one. But yeah, so, I don't know. Looking forward to that. Uh, the other toy movie coming out this week is um, Child's, Child's Play. Play. The only thing that eh, I'm, I'm I, curious about is uh, Mark Hamill. I won't lie. I never saw the first, the original Child's Play, so that has something to do with it. I've seen the original. It, it's fine. The, the entire series is kind of... It's like any other horror movie out of the 70s. Jack it's, Frost. Yeah, it's schlocky horror. So, But it's fun. It's fun. Um, I don't really care much about Mark Hamill as a as a the toy. Uh, Brad Dorif was a was fine. Uh, Grima Wormtongue was the original. <laughs> That's right, he was. I'm curious to see how Aubrey Plaza fits into this because I don't see like maybe she's a babysitter. Yeah, but I'm, I'm not, not positive sure. how she fits in with the story. We will see as it goes. Yeah, was there any was there any other thing coming out this week? Or that, that's no, those it? two are the big ones. Not a whole lot else came out this past weekend with Men in Black. Uh, Shaft came out. Shaft. And it's okay. Jenny's not here to slap me, so mm. you can say Shaft. Shaft. Can you? Want. Yeah. Can you? Yeah. Uh, but I didn't get around to seeing that. I, I don't know if I will. It got horrible reviews. Are you surprised? I'm I'm a little surprised. I was expecting like a fifty percent, but I think it got like a twenty. Well, no, because it's a black exploitation film. You can't make those anymore. Yeah, I thought it. I like the concept of it. I think it's kind of fun, but I don't know. I don't expect a good execution. Yeah, definitely didn't have any good execution. Other than that, whatever else came out this week, didn't see it. Yeah. So, so yeah. So that brings us to our big topic for the week. Uh, we're going to be talking about martial arts films. That's not documentaries. No, no. Uh, no. We originally, we're going to do documentaries, but because, you know, Jenny wasn't able to join us this night because of work. This work sucks. Um, Father's Day. Yeah. yeah, that kind of thing. Obligations. Let's yeah. just say obligations. Life. Hmm. Uh, we are pushing that back. We're pushing that back. She really wanted to take part in that discussion. So we decided that we're going to go with martial arts films because, well, Martial arts been, films. There hasn't been any good action stuff for the last couple weeks anyway, so we might as well talk about stuff we actually enjoyed. Yeah. So, today I think we're going to keep it a little, like, loose and off the cuff. So, what kind of things do you guys really look forward to or make specific movies stand out in this genre versus others? A lot of the stuff that the... Asian market, if you want to call it that, has been doing for years now in the fact that they take a lot of preparation, a lot of time to make sure that their action is complete and that they can show it show it completely instead of what a lot of American stuff does and that 
they kind of make it look like they're fighting and then quick cut through about 15 different angles. Yeah, that's something that Marvel definitely does that a lot. Yeah, and you know what? Not that's as bad what, as others, but... It... That's one of my bigger problems with some of their stuff because it's one of my biggest attractions from uh, Winter Soldier. Yeah, the fight between Winter Soldier and Cap was... It wasn't filmed well. The problem is, if you actually look at the behind-the-scenes stuff, that's them doing everything, and it looks amazing. Yeah. Because it's the behind-the-scenes stuff, so they're, they're just kind of... They're back out, and you're seeing the whole thing. It's like, show me that. That looks amazing. But they went the more cinematic spy route, where it's kind of close together, a little bit shaky cam. Not terribly much, compared to some examples. But even some of our martial arts ones going back with i still don't know how he's how he's considered as big as he is chuck norris i was texas i was walker texas texas ranger in any way considered stuff that has fighting when he just kind of throws out a lazy roundhouse kick well tom if you can explain how uh chuck norris is remotely important to anything ever ever <laughs> this would be a good time to somehow figure that one out okay so first off let me start off by saying i agree with you on the fact that uh, Asian marketed film uh, martial arts films do an amazing job with their planning choreography everything like that versus the American market that's and that's a lot to do with the culture of even even Western market because I won't even just say American market European yeah I have a couple of French films in here yeah there. European anything anything Western anything that's not actually Asian um has that a tendency of doing the for lack of a better shortcuts, shortcut lazy route. They go um, the safe way too. The safe way, the way that's going to be the quickest to the editing room, and then onto the big screen. And I think the biggest thing that has to deal with that is the is the culture itself, right? Because for for the Asian demographic, that is their culture. It's such a huge part of their culture. They. The film companies show the respect and time that it deserves by allowing them to practice for months. Then again, months. also it also harkens back to their culture in general. Anything worth doing is worth doing right and taking the time to do it. Look at a lot of their ancient culture. They dedicated hours upon hours upon years of their lives to specific things, specific tasks. Um, but moving beyond that, back to Chuck Norris. <laughs> that's a that's a segue, right? That's, that's so Chuck, Chuck Norris doesn't need segues. <laughs> Chuck Norris just, just kicks the other topic. He just flies across the room instead of rolling. No, gravity is so afraid of him; it just goes. You do what you want, Chuck. Uh, but no, it's a, I, 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 and he floats along. But no, so what it comes down to is Chuck Norris was so big in the actual martial arts scene not cinematic no no yeah i know i know he was he was pretty high ranking yeah he was so big there that when he started getting into the acting and everything like that they're just like we need to get this guy to do stuff and we want to see him perform on screen and so because again let's get it onto the big screen as quickly as possible they were just like okay small screen Oh, the small screen. Uh, let's take this mediocre fight and put him in it. And because people will recognize this guy repeatedly doing things and being an action film because we can market him that way because 
he looks rough and gruff and can do these things. Let's do that. So they basically kind of tried to make him Stallone or Schwarzenegger for the martial arts scene. Or, kind of. or in a more appropriate kind of byline, Jean-Claude Van Damme and what's the other one that has like the ponytail? That stupid little ponytail was on cops and that sort of stuff. Oh, you're talking about uh, Steven Seagal? Seagal, yes, oh, that was it. Yeah. Who is an actual police officer? He's also a chef. I saw that in a movie once. But I'm saying, like, a, a lot of his earlier movies kind of focused on his fighting prowess, with the judo and stuff. Right. Well, so with Chuck Norris, Chuck Norris, if I'm not mistaken, is primarily karate. I want to say Tang Sudo, but I don't quote me on that. I'm, to be honest with you, my you knowledge see, of specific fighting styles within the martial arts communities is very minimal. You say karate, that means nothing. It really doesn't. He does not do salat, because that looks cool on camera. It does. He does what Americans refer to as karate. And that's that's the thing. Is which that, is, a congl- if I'm not mistaken, a conglomeration of a bunch of random mass moves. The thing is, um, if I remember correctly, he does either what I used to do or a variation of it. What I used to practice was Tang Sudo, which was a variation on Taekwondo. Okay. Um, I believe I'm, he does something either very similar to what I did or another variation on Taekwondo. Okay. But that's not necessarily important. Right. No, I know that Steven Seagal judo. does the judo with his particular thing. He always... If you notice in his form of martial arts, when we see him on screen, he's always been the very much of the, I'm going to keep your hands to yourself and I'm going to keep my hands to myself as much as possible. Remember, kids play nice. It's judo and I want to say he's got a bit of a keto thrown in because he uses that against themselves. Right. Versus Jean-Claude Van Damme, which is... Splits in midair. (laughs) Yes. Between two trucks. Which was amazing and real. Yeah, because yeah. that's what he was. He was more the straight. He might actually be the Taekwondo guy. I can't remember off the top of my head. I know he was chosen to play Guile in Street Fighter, which I mean, okay, that's that's a great choice. But yeah, it's like you go back and all these older ones. I won't say they were better, but the older American ones don't really do much quick cuts. They do more. Yeah, but they're also the, simple. A whole lot of the the choreography in old American martial arts movie is just terrible. Oh, it is. I'm not going to say like it is. You go back to like you even go back to Bruce Lee. Uh, who's not American, but did some American movies. A lot of his there's a lot of choreography in his movies that just isn't great. Great, yeah. No, like, it's, like, it's amazing that he can do it, but at the same time, it just doesn't look good because everyone else around him is not. At that same level. Well, even in that sense, take what take what Bruce Lee does versus what Jet Li would do in some of his later American stuff. Like, yeah. there's a lot of CG in it, but look at the one. Even that, the one. There's a lot of really good choreography yeah, in that. There's a lot of cool choreography in the one that. Well, yeah, there's CG. It's not as. Uh, the, pervasive as like Matrix. The two big things that come up to my mind with the one is one of the early first is one of the earlier scenes where he kicks like three police officers mm-hmm. and one shots them. Well, it's very obvious CG. The thing is, do you know how they how they set it up for that? He there was oh, the three day. there were three tennis balls floating where they were, 
and he he figured out how he was going to kick them for that. And then just the, the next take, they took the balls away, and then he just did it perfectly that second time around. Hmm. So that's how they did it, and then they CD'd everything in afterwards. The other one, which is far more impressive choreography-wise, is the fight against himself in the Shower of Sparks in that factory. Yeah, That's an amazing fight in and of itself. And the fact that they start, and then they slow the sparks down to show how fast they these two are actually going yeah. is amazing. Yeah, that, that movie's one that I I have to rewatch. I genuinely loved uh, the one. Statham was pretty fun. Yeah, right? Jason so, Statham in it, and if I remember correctly, Statham actually got a fight or two. Kind of he got fight. he got some he got some punches in. Yeah, punches and shoots in. He did. Yeah. Statham is one of the better kind of martial artists. Even though he's a diver, he's not really a martial artist. Well, transporter is yeah, the biggest like one. Transporter is up there. Um, he has a. He has like a bunch of movies like Parker and Wild Card and just all these other movies. Off the wall, off the wall. Kind and of like um, Hobbs and Shaw is coming out in a few weeks here. Uh, that's gonna be fun. And last few Fast and Furious, and yeah, he's he is a solid American martial artist nowadays. And just like The Rock, the two of them are not particularly martial artists. They're more, but they're not. I wouldn't call. I wouldn't wrestling. classify them strictly as bruisers. The Rock is a bruiser. <laughs> Uh, Jason Statham has bruiser elements and that kind of fast, like the okay. No, I, I apologize. Brawler, I think yeah. is more is more the term I was looking yeah, for. Yeah, there, I could definitely see like a really cool pub brawl with with Jason Statham and like a Vin Diesel. Oh, I could see it, but yeah. they're not not the two of them aren't wildly throwing stuff, which is what yeah. I more classify Brawler as. Yeah. And I misspoke earlier when I said bruiser because yes, you're right. The Rock is one hundred percent. He oh, hits yeah. you, you're gonna feel it. Yeah, he hits you, and then he takes, like, four punches, and then hits you again. Yeah. <laughs> laughing the entire time as yeah, he pretty much. punching him. And somehow when he's laughing at you, you're like, this this guy seems really cool. This it's guy's weird. awesome. Thank yeah. you for letting me do this. Yeah, thanks for not punching me too hard. Ow. But, <laughs> but no. It, um, so on top of that, I mean, you also look at people, like, uh, who are coming into it. Ronda Rousey, who... We all know from MMA and uh, things like that. Sonya Blade. Yeah, who have come in and fought in other movies that aren't necessarily... Fast and Furious. Yes, Fast and Furious. Really? Yep, and then if I'm not mistaken, she was also in one of the Expendables movies. Hmm? Would surprise me. Oh, the one that comes to mind, the, the movie I saw her in didn't feature too much fighting, fighting. Uh, Gina Serrano. Oh, uh... I saw her in Deadpool. Haywire. Yeah. yeah, I I need to watch that because apparently that focuses more on her physicality. Yeah, definitely. But she's she, she's in great shape and a wonderful fighter too. Huh. So one of the reasons too, um, why we have the history that we do of fighting styles from Chuck Norris, he has founded two of his own martial arts, uh, Chun Kuk Do, which is the Universal Way, and the American Tang Sudo. Okay, so that's where I'm remembering it from. He is a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. <laughs> really? Mm-hmm. This is news to me. Uh, he is one of only three Americans to achieve eighth grade black belt status in Taekwondo. Couldn't uh, get up to ninth grade. Couldn't hit high school. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he has a tenth grade black belt in Tang Sudo and also an eighth grade, oh, I've already said that part, uh, which is uh, the Korean style uh, or traditional style of Taekwondo. Yeah, that's that's what I that's what I love, which explains why we were learning that alongside it. 
um, isn't interesting to watch fight. No, because nine times out of ten, he throws a lazy roundhouse and blows up the person. It's like watching Power Rangers, except Power Rangers is at least colorful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I have, I personally have no respect. I've never seen Chuck Norris in anything that I went, this is the reason why we say Chuck Norris is amazing. I respect the man for his actual prowess in, in martial arts and the stuff that he has done because it is pretty impressive. Yeah. But that's, that's because I actually have a bit of a background in that. And I understand why you don't, because... Everything on screen that you yeah, see about him for, is just bullshit. He's also retired military. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Um, and he also used to train rather closely with Bruce Lee. That, that actually makes a lot of sense. Which is another one of the reasons why he did what he did, because of his actual knowledge, like, knowledge of fighting. So when he got on screen, even if it just looks like a lazy roundhouse, he at least knew what he was doing. Oh, I'm not With saying that. that he, I'm not saying he was lazy for the roundhouse. Oh, I'm no, saying no, no, that no. What he was told to do was a lazy roundhouse. Oh, yeah. essentially. And so essentially, what it comes down to is, is not him, and not necessarily even the choreographers, because I don't think the choreographers at the time really yeah. had an understanding of what could be achieved with yeah, a martial arts film. Hit the guy, that's probably all they said. Well, to yeah, be probably. fair, that's actually kind of the problem that Bruce Lee faced, is that when he would do stuff for that, specifically Green Hornet comes to mind, is that he would punch faster than the cameras could actually record. Yeah, 24 frames per second, he'd punch faster than that. Yeah. Um, when it comes to Jean-Claude Van Damme, on the other hand, one of the reasons why we get some of the stuff that we get from him Probably has to do with his five years of classical ballet training. Huh. Makes sense. Yeah. He also has a uh, 18 and 1 uh, kickboxing record. Kickboxing. Hmm. Again, not surprised. No, it, it everything's kind of lining up with what I'd expect. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, he is an interesting gentleman, to say the least, um, when it comes to his techniques of doing anything he's got such an interesting accent uh it's because he's french legitimately he's just a he, he's a he's a french dude i know it just doesn't sound like a french accent you'd expect i swear it sounds more belgian uh, it's because he is part belgian he's from the french area of belgium Oh, that explains everything then. Yeah. Good to know I'm not completely off on my hearing. Uh, Steven Seagal, wonderful guy from Lansing, Michigan. Oh, God, he's from Michigan. Yep. Now everyone listen, listening knows where we're from. I didn't say he was from our state. I just said he's a good old guy from Lansing, well, now Michigan. Now everyone knows where we're from. Yep. I don't Lansing, like Michigan. I don't. I, mean, I don't want to have. I don't want to be able to say that I'm from the same state as Seagal. Uh, Seagal. I'm is... from the same state as Tom Welling, the <laughs> best Superman. Uh, Seagal is an Aikido master. I was right then. Um, speaks Japanese fluently, apparently. Not surprising. Uh, he used to work as a bodyguard. Not surprising. He's a master of Japanese kendo. Okay, that, that's a bit surprising. Um, though that would kind of follow with the Aikido. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. Anything about jujitsu or... I mean, he's learned a little bit of uh, a few moves from um, Anderson Silva. Oh, I know that name. Yeah, you would know him from UFC and MMA as a Brazilian fighter. Oh, yeah, good one, Uh, too. He's also known as the Spider. (laughs) Yeah, there's a reason. So nothing else, really? Just Aikido? No, he's a Russian citizen. 
He's a Russian citizen? As of uh, 2016. What? Pretty sure that Putin goes, this man is good. I want this man. Maybe. But, yeah, he's, uh, let's see. So there, <laughs> but unless you come up with something interesting, I think we're good on that. But that's, yeah. that's, that's our American martial arts heroes. Oh, he's, yeah. uh, he's also holds black belts in karate and judo. Okay. Okay, that, that makes sense. So yeah, those are our heroes. And the big thing is, is like, all of them kind of have really good credentials. Like, But to me, at the time, they weren't given anything. The thing that stands out to me is that they all are like, multi-level black belts in like five different disciplines. And to me, it almost feels like they're not, they're like jack of five trades and not masters of any of them. I can see how you think. Because that, yeah. you look at someone... And I'll jump back into to the Asian market here, and I'll look at someone like Donnie Yen. I think Donnie Yen or, uh, you know, like Donnie Yen, Bruce Lee, Jet Li, I feel like any of them can just fight circles around all of our people. What's the old standby? I fear the man who's trained in one punch 10,000 times more than the one who's trained in 10,000 different punches or some bullshit something like that. that. Like, I feel like they might catch him off guard, but then the various martial artists coming out of particularly China are so expertly trained in what they do. From a young age, too. Yeah, from a young age and, like, constant daily training. Didn't Jackie Chan say he'd been trained since, like, four or something? I'll get like into that. Jackie Chan, because of everyone that we mentioned, Jackie Chan is a special case. He's, he's interesting. And it's but, not like Donnie Yen... He could also just be an actor, but he is 100% believable as a guy that knows all sorts of martial arts. All his choreography and everything I've seen in him has been top-notch technically. Yeah. He's, he's, his execution, amazing. And I will say that also brings into mind something else that I learned, is that I'm not sure what it's called. I kind of like to call it the brown belt dilemma, where when you get to a certain point in, uh, in your discipline, but before you've actually kind of reached close to mastery... When you're fighting with someone, you've got so many different options you could possibly do. It's it's the choice paralysis that we have. We've got so many options. Uh, 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 what do I choose? Whereas when you're facing up against the yellow belt who only knows like two different things, punch or kick, they, they have a better chance of beating you because you're trying to think, okay, what kind of weird sort of stupid shit am I going to break out? Yeah. When, you, when you're starting to reach that level. But then you look at... So I think that's kind of the similar thing is that all of the the American ones, I, I am throwing Van Dam under that bus, but yeah, all the, of, the Western, the Western ones, yeah. they they're yeah they're skilled in several different disciplines. But well, when you look at Donnie Yen, for instance, his mother was a kung fu master, like legitimately, she taught kung fu, um, and then he's trained in uh, several different forms of martial arts, including. Uh, wushu, taekwondo, kickboxing, and regular boxing. Yeah, but all those have very similar properties. That's the big thing, whereas right. a lot of the Western ones, they're in different disciplines, but they're not in similar dips, disciplines. True. But I mean, like, he's had the ability to, like, learn in a lot of different ways on top of, like, actually having to use skills that he's learned from other things, including his interest, for instance... One of the things that Donnie Yen absolutely loves doing is dancing. 
So he's learned how to uh, use his body in different ways than just, say, somebody who necessarily just fights all the time. That explains the scene in Ip Man 3. Yeah. <laughs> Jackie Chan sings opera. Yeah. With a good voice. And Donnie Yen, I mean, for that matter, Donnie Yen's also classically trained in piano as well. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. But it's it's just interesting, like, like you said. It's like there seems to be... There probably isn't, and again, it probably falls more on how they were used in their films, but it does seem like the the Eastern audience, the Eastern market has more of a feel for how to get across a technically proficient person yeah. versus the Western one. Yeah, like you look at a lot of... Uh, I'll say Steven Seagal does not impress me at all. No. Nope. He walks in a room, glowers, says a bad one-liner, and then hip checks like hits you with an awkward punch it's like mm, okay sure sure wish the guy moved to the left about two inches like yeah, of, of just... the three of them i believe van damme as proficient the most and even then that's a low bar yeah and you look at any of the any of the martial arts coming out of um out of like china and i have a few from korea and like especially indonesia lately they they just look like they're a flurry of blows and not trying to get that one big hit. They're the one that's stinging you about ten times when you're trying to hit land the one hit. Um, and it's just, especially Silat, oh, wow. uh, out of, like, The Raid and Maranto and, like, a bunch of other movies. Uh, they even do some Silat in John Wick 3. Yeah, I wonder why. It... It is fast, kinetic, very cool on camera. It's also a very adaptive style. Yeah, and it is ridiculously brutal, and it looks like it looks like when you hit, you actually get injured. Whereas like Seagal, you just kind of fall down. Well, one of the, the thing is, you say brutal. It's one of the weapons that kind of originated from Salat is the karambit. Yeah, and that is an exceptionally dangerous looking piece. Yeah, it's a curved metal blade that is pulled back towards you so that it's used as both a shield and or deflecting blows and for just ripping and tearing amounts of stabbing yeah and not only that but also you mentioned like the fact that when you look at western martial arts it's just the it's primarily let's go in for that big blow versus let's hit hit them a bunch of times and try to wear them down and beat the ever-living snot out of them as opposed to, I've got to come in there as a giant bruiser, okay? And that's because I think when it comes to uh, the Western viewpoint, it's all about... I think it's a physiology thing. Yeah, it's, it's all about power versus speed or finesse, or even accuracy sometimes. Yeah, we, we just go in blindly and punch everything in the room. Whereas... If I can take more blows and make sure that you get knocked down one, I win. <laughs> right. And that's the thing that, like, I think when it really comes down to it, the real ideological change between Eastern and Western philosophy when it comes to martial arts, that's where it really is. It's taking the opportunities to get in the hits where you can versus I'm just going to hit, sit here and pummel you until you, I break through whatever defense you Well, have. think about what, what's one of our, what's one of the West's big, biggest martial arts purely from the West perspective. Not like we've we've taken in boxing, exactly. You know exactly no, what I was going for. That what is that? Nine times out of ten, at least 
in the last hundred years, it's bait out bait out a, a misstep and punish it. Or go through everything and then hurt them until they stop moving. And like Muhammad Ali, the butterfly sting like a bee. Yeah, the rope dope. Yeah. Yeah. That all all that kind of stuff. That is very much what China does. And like they get you to swing at them and then just sting you like five times and then back off while you all are all of a sudden going like, ow, that kind of hurt. And then you'll do the same dumb move and just a whole bunch of little strikes. But after a while, that's just all of a sudden you have a bunch of bruises that are injured and, and cuts or yeah. And then on the on the very flip perspective, you've got someone like Tyson. Yeah. Like right. Tyson charges you, gives you no room to breathe, and then knocks you out quick as he can. Yeah. Yep. Which I mean we get in a, a great example of the Eastern versus Western fo- fighting philosophies when we look at, like, for instance, Ip Man 3. Where oh, yeah. Mike Tyson. Oh, yeah. Mike, where he's fighting Mike Tyson, or even when he's fighting Twister. That's a, th- Those are both great scenes. Too. Exactly. And when he's fighting Twister, for instance, it's classic boxing versus Chinese Wing Chun. If I'm not mistaken, that fight scene, I don't know if that was how accurate that was historically for eh. it man but bruce lee actually did something very similar um in a fight against a middleweight champion and and he won in the third round wow. against him in a knockout what i love what i love about the whole it man three thing is the especially the one between tyson and diane is the fact that it showed a respect to to that Western philosophy of I'm gonna go in, I'm gonna make sure you can't do anything and knock you out. Is that he was pushed hard for the three minutes <laughs> that he was given. And there's a very good chance that if it had gone on even another half minute, he would have been knocked out. Yeah. Uh, even another couple seconds. Because he Tyson was about to land a hit, but he's got such a control over himself that he stopped it when he heard the ring. Right. And um, what I was telling you about uh, Bruce Lee, uh, he defeated Gary Elms by knockout in the third round in 1958 in a Hong Kong Amateur Boxing Championship using Wing Chun traps and high-low level straight punches. Before he beat Elm, or before he met Elms in the finals, he knocked out three boxers in the first round. Hawkins Chung and his fellow Wing Chun street fighter uh, witnessed the event. Um, so the fact that essentially it was that same fight literally in real life in 1958 that's insane he beat up ed helms uh no gary elms oh okay <laughs> i was like damn <laughs> weird fight from Bam. right but it's 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 a showcasing of different philosophies nowadays i think the biggest problem is the fact that they just <sighs> western western production companies still don't give them enough time more often than not when yeah. you're talking about big budget stuff like any sort of Marvel movie or the like, you don't even get the time to fully do all this stuff. Whereas, I mean, you want a great comparison? Look at John Wick 1 versus even 3. I won't lie, it's fun in 3, but I I think the choreography was better in 1. And that's because at the time... One was essentially a low-budget film made by a bunch of stuntmen starring uh, what people think considered a washed-out actor on the on the on the down low at the time, 
Yeah, but he's wonderful. He is. Yeah. But now that now that's become a big thing because everyone's like, "Oh my god, that was amazing." It almost seems like they're not letting enough time for it to stew and train and come make it natural looking. Yeah. Yeah. It's like they're trying to push too much through too fast or even trying to push too much into uh, something now. Yeah. Versus letting it look like a natural fight progression. <laughs> or they had too many goddamn pauses. Right. So, that being said, if you guys had to choose, like, your top three. So, before we jump into our list, we're kind of, There's one person we've kind of... Glazed over purposely a little. avoided. That's Jackie Chan. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that man. Jackie Chan... My fault. ...takes martial arts to a new level. It's he not does. just martial arts. It is... Martial arts with comedy. Yes. And he does it in a way that doesn't... It's not poking fun at the fact he's doing martial arts. It's inventive. It's inventive. It's innovative. It's the use of things around you. It's the use of props. It's the use of choreography to Everyday tell stuff. a story. Everyday stuff. And I just want to do a little special because Jackie Chan, he is hands down one of the most talented dudes in, in like filmmaking. It's oh, hilarious when you consider the fact that initially some dumbass director basically wanted to make him into the next Bruce Lee by basically having him copy stance for stance Bruce Lee instead His of actually... early, early movies are painful to watch because they don't have any other personality. No, that he, that he was allowed to explore in later stuff and if you think about it, how much of a loss to the world would that have been? Yeah, the, the director is Sammo Hung, uh, the guy, I believe he did um, Legend of the Drunken Master and a bunch of these, like, early, kind yeah. of first, like, ten years of Jackie Chan. He found Jackie Chan and was like, hey, I like your style. Probably in Chinese, but, hey, I like your style, and I want you to do, I want you to do what you want to do. And Jackie Chan just was like, oh, okay, and, you know, did like this weird choreography that was like using stuff in the room and impressed the guy so much that boom, the guy's like, I'm going to make a movie. What do you want to do? <laughs> We're going to make a movie. It's going to be awesome. And it was. Yeah. yeah. And they ended up just becoming good friends and becoming coworkers. And that's when Jackie Chan started making his, uh, his choreography team. Uh, the thing a lot of people don't realize is that Jackie Chan is actually him and about 40 dudes that are his choreography. Oh, yeah, his stunt yeah. team has been He choreographers with him. them all. Yeah, his, his stunt yeah. team has been with him for decades. Yeah, yep. and he, a lot of them were on Game of Death and Enter the Dragon, and when uh, Bruce Lee died, a lot of them were like, well, we need stuff to do, so Jackie Chan's like, I'm doing some stuff, and took them all and said, I'm doing it comedic. And they thought it was cool, and they just stuck with it, and then they started doing these, like, hyper-kinetic, really cool, like, you know, like, the, the fight in, like, it's not his best movie, but Shanghai Nights, they have a whole fight where he's trying to keep, like, like these ceramic pots from breaking. Oh, my God, that's And right. he keeps, like, sticking them between the guy's leg and then turning around to fight the guy. Because they don't want to break it either. Not want, and, like, doing this, or there's a whole scene that's set to uh, Singing in the Rain, 
where he's using a or using an umbrella and like a couple of boxes and like he's just doing all this. But like so many of his movies have this inventive like, and completely off the wall. But when you yeah. watch it, it's like, oh wow, that makes complete sense. How would I not think to do that? And Jackie Chan's first strike, I believe it is, he has a whole fight scene with a ladder. That's a that's an iconic and one too. Yep. Like he's diving into the ladder, diving out of it, and like baiting a guy out to try to grab something, smashing his hands with the ladder and you're laughing the entire time and the whole time it's like you could just tell they're having fun Mm. and that's one of the things that jackie chan it's like he doesn't take it seriously like every other he takes it serious but he doesn't he doesn't he takes it seriously for sure but he doesn't look like he's trying no it it flows naturally it's so beautiful to watch he looks like he's a kid in a toy store playing with everybody in the room he just looks like the nicest dude ever. And from everything I've heard, he is the nicest guy in Hollywood. He's also probably broken everything in oh, his yeah, body he at least once. Yeah. He's broken all of his bones. He's, he broke his back in Armor of the Gods. So. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing is the fact that it it just looks... It feels like it captures more of those old Wushu legends of just yeah. kind of the free flow. I won't lie, he looks like the perfect, in, like a modern reincarnation of the Monkey King. He's. I probably played the Monkey King. He has. Was he the Monkey King in Forbidden Kingdom? Yes, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he plays the monkey in uh, uh, Kung Fu Panda. That counts. Yep. Yeah. That's that's two count. But I think he. I think Jet Li was the Monkey King in Forbidden Kingdom, which that should have been a Jet Li Jackie Chan fight because that would have been so much cooler. But like he 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 feels with his choreography like a modern interpretation of that old trickster. Yeah, and. I'll say the the guy that gets the closest to him that I've ever seen is a guy named Stephen Chow, who is from uh, Kung Fu Hustle and Shaolin Soccer. That's why the like Journey to the West and some some others, but he's like the only other one that I've seen take very well choreography or choreographed martial arts and tie it with comedy in a way that doesn't seem like Kung Pao enter the fist. That, that, that doesn't feel like it diminishes it. Yeah, it, it's not like Kung Pao or Austin Powers where they're like, we're doing karate, you know. it's Well, to be fair, both of those feel more, they're, they're parodies, but they're kind of fun poking well, at When you look at a lot of, a lot of uh, Jackie Chan's movies, they feel like parodies at times. Like, especially <laughs> some of his later ones. He's done some pretty... The Tuxedo. The Tuxedo, the Myth, the... Bleeding Steel, uh, yeah, Kung Fu Yoga. There's a lot. He's done some bad movies. The Tuxedo is the biggest one that sticks out to me because it looked like yeah. it was going to be amazing. And it's like, well, this is stupid. And Spy Next Door. He, he's done some pretty bad movies, but then he he does like five or six bad movies. Then he does a movie like Shinjuku Incident, which is unbelievable. He was amazing in it. There's also some really As interesting stuff. Like, you speaking of that... I can't remember the name of it. What's the one where he's opposite uh, Pierce Brosnan? Uh, oh, Jesus. Um, I need more than that. It's that super serious one where his daughter gets killed in the... Oh, Foreigner. Foreigner, yeah. Four, yeah. That one. It's like, it, he doesn't feature a lot of it, but even then, it's like, it's not, it's a, it's a very serious yeah. drama, but all the stuff, it, it's, he's still got the inventiveness, he's still got the creativeness, and you look at it, and it's like, God damn, dude, how do you know all this stuff? Yeah, and there's, like, a really good scene. Like, that's one of those ones, kind of like Shinjuku, that's not martial arts-based. But there's a really good scene where he's, like, bestowed a bunch of weapons in a bag, and he's going to take a few people out. And all in one camera shot, they leave the... They even come back in, and he's, like, scampered up onto the... 
onto something. Onto a shelf or something like that. He, like, scampered up into a corner and is, like, pinned between the the refrigerator or the wall or something like that. And then he takes them all out, and it's just just really well-choreographed little scene. It's like, oh, hey, okay, you still got it. Cool. So he's, he's getting up there. He's, like, 70 now, I think. Yeah, and he's in better shape than some 40-year-olds. Oh, yeah. And just a quick understanding of why he does the martial arts the way he does with the comedy Three of his biggest influences are Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton, and uh, uh, Henry Lo- or Harold Lloyd. Sounds first. Nope. And yep. that, like, hilarious enough, that brings to mind John Wick because uh, Chad Stahelski. Mm-hmm. That, that those those things run on Buster Keaton logic. Yeah. Yep. And, and there's a reason why Charlie Chaplin is the the name of the beggar kid and um. Uh, Shanghai Nights. Yep. Oh my God! Which is played by Kickass. I I remember that now. Oh if I remember God, correctly. Right. That's just, that's Aaron Taylor Johnson who plays Kickass. Yeah. Um, and uh, then one of his early roles. Also, too, just an example. Again, somebody who's trained in like a billion things. He's trained in northern and southern styles of kung fu, as well as uh, styles of martial arts, including taekwondo, karate, judo, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and hapkido. He's also uh, got experience working in jeet kundo, which is Bruce Lee's yeah, yeah. Uh, form of martial arts. Makes so, sense. Right. So, I mean, the man is just And then he ties in with brilliant, like, sense of comedy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. His... It, and that's the thing that, that makes it interesting is the fact that his comedy, a lot more physical than most. Yeah. By necessity, damn near. And he has a lot of weird times that it's not even a fight scene that is just an unbelievable, like, just physical. He just does things that shouldn't be able to be able to be done by someone of his, like, stature and his age. But he's able to, like, dive through a small little grate. Oh, you're talking about Rush Hour. Yeah. Rush Hour 2 when he dives through the the little, like, mail slot type of thing. No, yes, to, be, like, you know? to, to be fair... He messed I do, it up a few times. I do he got find, stuck once. The, the outtake for that is hilarious. <laughs> he had, like, three outtakes. And he, I love that he always puts outtakes. Yeah, it's it, 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 show, it showcases that it's it, it's hard work doing what he does, but... Yeah. And I love the, like... I could never see Chuck Norris showing that he messed something up. I can never see Steven Seagal admitting I couldn't that see he any, any Western. Maybe, maybe uh, Keanu Reeves. Like, well, Keanu Reeves Steven Seagal will gladly admit he's messed up because of the fact that he does that. Like, he's he's done the whole documentary thing of, like, him going and teaching people how to do things and being like, yeah, no, I've screwed up. This is why. This is why I, I know what I'm I doing. I don't see him in a movie, though. But like, he's more serious. You're right. Yeah. Whereas... With Jackie Chan, everything he does is like a celebration of of the mar- of martial arts in general, of life in general. Like you think about it, like everything he does has some sort of like comedic value almost to it. Everything he does is just fun for him. It's almost like he's experiencing it for the first time. He's opening up a uh, Christmas gift on Christmas morning, going, "Oh, geez, look what I get to play with now!" Hi, look, life, all right. Look at all these fun toys I get to play with. Oh yeah, Yay. he he is definitely a world of his own in terms yeah. of and martial arts and the like. Yeah. He is just unbelievable. I mean, I wanted to make sure we talk about Jackie Chan before jumping into this. No, no you're absolutely that, right. You're, you're right. Plus, not only that, but also to anybody who actually has a Pokemon named after them should be. <laughs> oh, Hitmonchan. Yep, Hitmonchan is named after him. And then Hitmonlee. Yeah. Yep. So, is there someone with the last name Top, or is that just they really just dropped? Hitmon, it, 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 Hitmon Top's just also a name. Yeah. Yeah. But Hitmonchan is named after him. But yeah. 
it's so it's it's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Um, I wanted to say that because I don't think that Jackie Chan is actually in any of my top my three. <laughs> no, and you know what? It, it's sad, but again, it's like those are those are a lot. The technical prowess in them is cannot be understated. But they're also a lot more feel good more often yeah. than not. They, they're the ones I feel the laugh, not the ones I Exception go to. Exception to coincident, because nope. <laughs> or or the foreigner. Yeah, yeah, true. But it's like I, I I don't go to him for to watch the choreography because I I like how excessively blah 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 it is like brutal, cool, all that sort of stuff. It's innovative. I go there when I want to see. I go to Jackie Chan when I want to see something weird. I guess is the best way to phrase it. But yeah, that's fair. It's good, but it's definitely not what you consider the normal fighting. But that's not a bad thing. No. So I guess the biggest thing is that's kind of how a lot of mine are structured is that they're more grounded in what someone could possibly actually do and seem to showcase what the impact of something like that would be to someone, either because of brutality, just how absolutely exhausting it could be, or the like. What about you two? Same I, kind of philosophy? Or? I kind of wanted to show off different different types of movies. Um, I could easily put three Jackie Chan movies on here. Rush Same. Hour 2 being the top of them. I could put Wushu, a bunch of Wushu martial arts. I could put like a bunch of Jet Li movies on it. But I, I kind of wanted to space mine out. Um, I tried not to, to copy because I'm pretty sure someone's going to say Raid. Raid would be in my top, hands down. I, I'm more like, I wanted to say one that is definitely my, like in my top 10 of all time. And then the other two are a little bit more niche, niche picks that don't get a whole lot of people talking about them, but I just think they're really cool. So, um, Mine are, I, I guess you would say that they're very much based in reality. Uh, one is historical and the other two are just... Insane to watch. Good old fashioned beat em ups. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, although I could easily put almost anything Jackie Chan's in into that profile for fun stuff to watch. Okay. Then. So who wants to start? Um, why don't you go ahead and start us off, James? Me then, okay. Well, my number three is Probably on yours. I'm not even going to say otherwise. Ip Man. Yeah, we're going to can that one. Yep. Um, again, not very surprised. <laughs> so that's my that's my number. Th- one of my third favorite. My third favorite one. Let's go with that. All right. Um, we'll talk about that when that pops back up. Um, mine is actually a French film from 2004. French 2004. I think I know it. Put me out of my misery. Uh, it's called District B13. I've heard of that one. Um, so the, the idea of District B13, for one, it's set in 2010, so it's slightly futuristic 15 years ago, so that probably doesn't stand, stand the test of time. <laughs> um, but it stars two guys named Cyril Raffaelli and David Bell, the designers of parkour. Oh, wow. And I'm sure a lot of people are like, well, that's not martial arts. It's like, well, when you look at what they actually do in the movie, they are using parkour to both get away and to evade and fight people. So, yeah, it's a martial arts movie. I definitely consider it borderline at the absolute least. Yeah, it's martial arts. It's just not an aggressive martial art. Yeah. 
It's uh, more of Asian, like Akira or something. Yeah. Um, the idea of the, the movie District B-13 is Gaius of Paris, an undercover cop, and an ex-thug try to infiltrate a gang in order to defuse a neutron bomb. <laughs> yeah, I know. Wow, that it, escalated real fast. Yeah, it's... the One of them had... The like, sister has been kidnapped by the main villain. They're trying to go, but the whole movie is just this really cool style, and it's all just very interesting because it's not... It, it's not like the classic, you know, two people square off. And it's kind of a non-confrontational out. thing, it sounds yeah. like. Yeah, and, like, the villains are all trying to fight them, but the, the two main characters are, like, jumping around the room, like Tony <laughs> no <big>. Jaw style. <laughs> uh, Tony Jaw we didn't talk about. There's, oh, there's a spider monkey of a Don't, don't worry, he, he's okay. going to come up. But, like, they're always jumping around. Like, a lot of the stuff you see in um, Casino Royale, a lot of those moves in the opening scene are taken from District B-13. The remake, you mean, right? <laughs> yeah. I don't, whatever else I want to say about the man, I don't think I see Sean Connery doing that. No, and a lot of the choreography, I believe, is the same dude. And I know the the guy that Bond was chasing in that is actually in B- District B-13. Yeah. Um, he's one of the other founders of parkour. Yeah, I do know that. Free running. Um, but yeah, the entire movie is just this really well choreographed, really interesting, cool camera movements. And, you know, it's just lower budget, but I absolutely love the movie. And I think the, the biggest part to me is the, um, the music. It's all Ooh, choreographed really well with this, this cool kind of European techno music going on in the background. It's, 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 it's. Pretty much. And it's just a, a really cool movie. And it gets, it's kind of one of those that a lot of people have heard about but never actually saw. So I wanted to give it a little bit of like, hey, this movie's cool. Give it a shot. So, okay. Yeah. Very cool. Um, my number three uh, comes from 2003. Uh, it's classified as an action crime thriller starring Tony Ja, Ong uh, Bak, the Thai warrior. No, that's actually not the one I'm going to be talking about. Uh, so, this one, a statue of a small village is stolen, and a young man from that village ends up going into town to retrieve it, and ends up finding himself taking on the underground. It is the one that introduced me to Tony Ja, and in Muay Thai in general. Yeah. Or at least in the big way. Yeah, he uses Muay Marat. Um, Old is, school style, yeah. Yeah, which um, is indicative because of the rhapsodies on his hands. Yeah, it's the it's the old school style yep. of Muay Thai. Yep. And uh, the movie is really sweet in the fact that uh, it kind of gives us not just like the typical I'm going to beat you up style all the time type of martial arts film that I grew up watching. I dare say it's a lot closer to Devin's district. The district is the fact that district he's, he's very non-confrontational if he can be. Yeah, he tries not to fight. In fact, there's even a scene where he's having like this almost breakdance style thing in the middle of. Uh, is that like a shrine? Is that is that this one or is that? Uh, it's the head of a statue is stolen. Yeah, from his village. Uh, but he ends up. Right. Uh, yeah, no, that's you're thinking one. of that. You're, you're thinking a different one. I'll that's, be honest. I think most Ungbok number two. Ungbok and Ungbok two. They had some weird obsession with elephants. Yeah, they <laughs> they do in general. Don't worry. Oh, yeah, but uh, in this one, like he has like this breakdance scene 
in the middle of an alleyway or whatever. Oh, that's when he's running away from everyone. He starts doing break dancing and kicks the guy in the face. And yeah. They show it again in slow-mo. And you just see him. It's like, ooh, you got hurt, buddy. <laughs> exactly. There's exactly. also the one where he where he's allows himself to light on fire, kick yep. someone, coming through it, and then jumps into a, bu- uh, a bucket of water. Exactly. Yeah, like... The stunts that were pulled in here, all done by Tony Jaa, by the way. Oh, yeah. Does all of his own stunts. Uh, it They're just insane to watch. Uh, they're over the top, but at the same time, the way he pulls them off is like, well, that makes total sense. Why wouldn't you do that kind of thing? The best, the best showcase of the actual skill is probably about a third of the way through it in the underground fight scene. Yes, exactly. That is the one where he showcases against so many other people and he just destroys them. Exactly. I mean, yeah, he gets hit a bit and he starts taking a beating, but at the same time, like, the beating that he takes is nothing compared to what he dishes out. One, Tony Jaw is just a built man. That yes. man has steel cords for muscles. Yeah. And two, for people who don't know Muay Thai and its ancestor are very much dependent on striking with knees and elbows as opposed to your hands and feet. Yep. So you've got, you've got this guy slamming his elbow coming down onto someone's head yep. and the like. And then slamming your head into his knee immediately afterwards, repeatedly. And it's just like, how much more can he take? The biggest one comes to mind, Mad Dog. Yeah. He gets slammed in the head like five times by his elbow exactly <laughs> no no this guy's about bigger than me and built like he should be okay so different mad dog yeah. oh yeah yeah but the the underground fi- uh, fight announcer actually kind of backs away going oh god mad dog <laughs> yeah so and he's he's this big british guy with like slash hair. If I'm not mistaken, he reminds me very much of the character Sagat from Street Fighter. I could say it. But yeah, he's just this big guy. And the best part is when he first starts it, he basically gives it the fi- gives Tony Jaw's character the finger, steps forward, and then he just gets a foot directly in his face yep. that drops him to the ground. Yep. And then he gets back up and they have a giant fight. So many just iconic just one hit slams and the guys down in the dirt. I will I will definitely say the the highlight of that is the underground fights and if yes. nothing else, watch those fights. There's about three of them, I think. Yeah, I wanna say three. Yeah, three. I wanna say three. No, wait, I'm sorry, I'm thinking Mad Dog's someone different. The the giant the giant British guy got taken out with that one hit. Mad Dog's the like Frank Castle looking yeah, 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 you're right, you're right, you're right. Who just slammed, who just does not give a damn. It, the, just, I completely forgot. So, it, the movie is just a lot of fun to watch. Oh, yeah. Know? It's, I would highly suggest watching it subbed. <laughs> yeah. The dub is not great. <laughs> no. like, the English voices, no. <laughs> no. But, uh, yeah, so that's my number three. So, that's a good one. Yep. And my number two, we're going to a different Tony John movie. Okay. We are going to... (laughs) I'm going to butcher this. Tom... Tom Yang Kum? Okay. It was... It was just... Yes. Yeah. It... it Here's the interesting thing. It was called The Protector in the U.S. only. The United... The United Kingdom called it Warrior King. Spain called it Thai Dragon. 
Germany had it as Revenge of the Warrior, and Russia called it Honor of the Dragon. It's got about 17 different names. And once again, Tony Jaa, old school Muay Thai. This one, he has his elephant stolen. Okay. This is the is one, this one where someone throws an elephant at him. Like, he throws a big yes. elephant. Yes. Okay. This big. I knew one of them was. One of them, they steal an elephant statue. Another one, they break a tusk off and he loses it. It, I, it. He has like 10 movies and like nine of them have something to do with an yeah. evil, like, destroyed elephant. This movie also has one of the longest no cut fight scenes. That's the one I'm, I'm getting to that. I'm getting to that. Don't worry. This one has. Yeah. It doesn't have. As many, I, I I would honestly say I think Ombak has more cool scenes, or at least more fight scenes in general. But the two that stand out to me the most in this one, and why I will definitely suggest it, is the first one is when he's in a flooded, burning shrine, and he's fighting off against a guy who's pulling off capoeira. There's the one that I was thinking. Yep. It's such an amazing scene. And the only reason it didn't go on longer is I want to say the guy doing the capoeira had uh, broke his leg or something like that, like or his foot or something. But it's such a cool scene because, again, they're in like ankle deep water and you've got Eddie Gordo basically flipping around in slow-mo while he's while he's dodging it and trying to to counterattack. And again, flooded, burning shrine. It's such a cool visual. The other cool one, and the big draw for it, is that uninterrupted. It's like a four-minute scene of four him, plus minutes. him walking into a building, walking upstairs, and just annihilating people. To the point, they he throws a couple people off of like the second story sort of stuff. And they actually showcase them down there, broken on the ground. They had to time it. So that he tossed them off, they land on a cushion, pull out the cushion, and there's time- like a broken pagoda down there that they had to re reinstitute back into the sh- scene for certain shot parts of the shot, and then move out to put the map back, and then re re put the bodies laying on the ground in the right positions too. In with like such quick turnaround times on those. And you that's all interesting and amazing on its own, but you've also got the camera guy following him who's carrying this 10, 15-pound camera and lining up the shots perfectly. Not to mention all of his camera operators and all that that are walking with the camera. It's all having to stay behind the camera. And, yeah. In time with it. The amount of effort. up a few times, and there was a lengthy setup. Five, I think, t- attempts had to be made. Yeah. Yeah, but the bet that it only took five. But it was done over a one month period. Oh yeah, they had the 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 practice without the without the actual filming of it. Oh my! But again, yeah. that kind of showcases the thing you would not do that for for a western movie, right? Another and that's so sad. Going a little bit deeper into that, it took them two years over two years to make, and it's over six hundred rolls of film. I can imagine any Western, especially American production company, looking at that and just going, <gasps> yeah, why are you wasting my film? Yep. And that's the sad part, because that four plus minutes is easily a, the selling point of the movie. It is so amazing. And then it's followed by one of the cheesier 
moments in the movie. <laughs> and then followed by a pretty cool beat him up. Where's my elephant? Well, also the fact that he strapped two elephant bones to his arms and then goes ham. And it's like, it's, it's so stupid, but it's kind of amazing because of it. So yeah, the protector or one, one of the, one of the seven dozen subtitles it has. Um, Tony Jaa actually developed a new style of Muay Thai specifically for the film based on elephant movements. Oh, really? The movements throw, stomp on, grab, and break. It's called Muay Kochasan. Okay, so he he uh, modified it. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. But yeah, it's like yeah, we didn't get to him, but he's definitely one of the new the new martial arts people that complete respect, if nothing else, for his for his technique and precision. Because everything he throws, I'm like, oh my god, how is he not dead? And also, too, is anything anybody watching this film should know that no wires or stunt doubles were ever used in the making of this film. Nope. It's, it's all, it's all people. It's all, they all timed it. It's phenomenal effort and it shows. Tom Yum Goom, by the way, is hot sour soup made with lemongrass and shrimp. Yep. I knew that one. Didn't know that. I don't, I don't know why. Didn't know that, but apparently it's a very popular dish there. I'm curious. In Thailand, so. But yeah, that's, that's my number two. So good choice. My number two, I've had about, I have four, uh, I guess they're just wushu martial arts movies that are all kind of vying for the same spot. Uh, Curse the Golden, Curse the Golden Flower is just a beautifully shot movie, uh, starring Chow Yun Fat as a king, and ah. his entire palace is like golden yellows, and just it's a gorgeous film. Uh, House of Flying Daggers, starring um, Zhang Ziyi. A blind dancer that knows that he's actually a martial artist. Um, and then I wanted to say Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. I've said this before, so I don't really want to rehash about Crouching Tiger. I absolutely love Crouching Tiger. Um, so I went with the one that takes the cinematography and particularly the production design up to the next level. You say hero, I swear to God. I'm going to say hero. Uh, I was afraid you were going to say hero. <laughs> because... A fair. I liked Hero though. I don't like that one. That's I'm gonna be the odd man out, and that's, that's all fair. I'm gonna say. That's fair. As from coming from a production design background, it is one of the most gorgeously shot and made movies I've ever seen. Will not disagree. It looked the the way they show off the different storylines, the different fights, the all that everything being black and white or green or red or blue or. You know, the, the various hues that he goes through throughout his story that he tells. Um, the fact that all of the, I believe it's an emperor, maybe it's a king. It's an emperor. Uh, king. Um, hmm, king okay. of queen, or king. Um, regarding his success of terminating three warriors. Oh, that's right. Um, okay. Uh, all of his stuff is stark black, because that's what, the, that's what the king likes. It's all black, and just, I love all of the cinematography and how they capture like all the colors. And it's just one of those movies that is just gorgeously shot the story and kind of the way it's overall told. Not the best. That's, I prefer Crouching Tiger. That's that. the part that screwed me up. It wasn't the fight scenes. It was at the story. And this it's was a slow story. I saw it shortly after it came out. So that might have had a lot to do with it. Maybe if I go back now and watch it, I'll actually, I'll feel better about it. But at the time I, I at the end, I was just like, well, wow, that was stupid. I saw Hero, uh, Crouching Tiger, House of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, 
House of Flying Daggers and a movie called Iron Monkey. <laughs> All Iron Monkey stars uh, Donnie Yen. It's actually a really well-made movie, and it just has a weird title. But the four of them check are out. all that kind of mystical wushu type style, slightly like they're period pieces, and but they're just very well done. Particularly Hero, House of Flying Daggers, and oh, Crouching Tiger. Hero, directed by Zhang Yimou, who is one of one of uh, China's top directors, just hands down. To me, watch it for the cinematography. Watch it for the brilliant non-verbal storytelling they do yeah because yeah the dialogue meh well to be fair isn't I that that brings to mind isn't the character that essentially fills the the romantic lead female lead blind uh I think of a different one I I believe you're thinking House of Flying Daggers I could almost I could almost use in both this and Crouching Tigers so it it gets kind of confusing when you start thinking that she's in all three and I'm not positive she's blind in this one. I so almost want to guarantee movie. that this is the blind one because of what happens to his character at the end. He dies and then she feels his spirit or some bullshit like that. Something like that. Uh, most likely one of them is blind, but I'm not I'm not positive. It's been a while since I've gone back and And that's perfectly fine. I yeah. again it's been forever since I've seen it too. I was wondering yeah. if you were corroborating on that. Yeah. That's perfectly fine that you don't remember. But that was gonna bug you. I think she is actually, because he gets shot down by all the arrows and she just doesn't react. Yeah, but but now but no, it's gonna bug you. <laughs> yeah, I'll probably rewatch it this week. That's one that I haven't I I'm actually curious to rewatch it because I've seen a lot of stuff about the the cinematography and how they shot it. I'm just blown away with the technical side of this movie. Mm-hmm. And like the choreography between, um, I believe this is particularly Donnie Yen and Jet Li. I believe that's who blue it, or the blue section that has black and white in it. Oh my God, these names. <laughs> Are you kidding me? For what? The characters. Oh, oh yeah, they're all nameless. Flying snow, moon, broken sword. This sky. is all from Nameless's point of view. Yeah, Donnie Yen plays Sky. Yeah, yeah. Jeez, I you... believe that Donnie Yen is the one that they all have their battle in their mind. Yes, I and do then know that. He sets his sword down and says, "You beat me." Kind it, of thing. It's, it's that, like, huh? It's the epitome of. Yeah. Of the mental battle that you would, that two masters would have yeah. to determine instead of an actual physical fight, yeah. And it's it's so greatly done because the actual fight scene, which was in black and white to showcase the men, the fact it was a mm-hmm. mental one, was still exceptionally well done. So in other words, they got to have their cake and eat it too. Yeah, and that's one of those that that's what sets this movie apart from some of the other wushu is the just the unbelievable attention to detail and all the colors because. There's barely any CG in this movie. Set extension and stuff like that, sure, but it's all all designed and all there on camera, on set. So, so uh, yeah, that's I mean, um, Hero by Zhang Yimou. I mean, just an example of that, for instance, um, in the Keen Army sequence, there were estimated 18,000 extras oh used. Mind you, all of which were uh, performed by actual Chinese People's Liberation Army soldiers. Oh. Yeah. And the fact that they would go into something as uh, crazy as, like, for instance, the Keen, Ar- Keen Army, like, having, like, favored the color black. 
So the director of the movie actually had all 300 plus horses ordered to have them black for that scene yep. in order for the, or for those scenes for consistency to be historically accurate. That's insane. The director, Zhang Yamal, is one, he's the one who directed the Beijing Olympic opening ceremony. Which was oh, absolutely amazing. Yeah, the fact that that was done live, holy, wow. That's but what He is kind of known as China's version of, like, Kubrick. That so will exacting. push you until you get it right and doesn't particularly care. So, uh, but yeah, he's he also did um, uh, House of Flying Daggers. And House of Flying Daggers, main character, was blind. So, holy smokes. Um, fun little fact that I did not realize. The lake scenes took almost three weeks to film because direct, the director insisted that the lake surfaces had to be perfectly still and mirror-like during filming. Due to the natural uh, natural currents, this occurred every day for only two hours during uh, starting at 10 a.m. To adjust to this phenomenon, the filmmakers arose at 5 a.m. each day to begin five hours of preparation and setup. For a two-hour window. For a two-hour window for th- almost three weeks. Yep. You know what, though? It pays off, I'm sure. Yeah. Like, th- again, the dedication that Those goes green, in. green, right? I uh, believe so, yeah. yeah. I believe all that. With, with the water green. was all the green, I believe, yeah. Oh, this is the one with the amazing orange. Oh, there's just so many cool shots of this. Like, this... The one with all the, the orange and the, the leaves. and Well, I will definitely say the one that sticks out into my mind is the mental battle between mm-hmm. uh, Lee and Yang. That one is yeah. a definite, you gotta watch this. Yeah, I love that. I love the scene. I seem to think it's Zhang Ji, who's my favorite actress. She is in, I believe, the orange or red. Faces. <laughs> Like, yeah. like swipes her sword and just all these like leaves kind of come up around her, and it's just this um, absolutely gorgeous. Whatever, whatever else I think, Wushu oh, films are beautiful. Yeah. yeah, Wushu is some of the most gorgeous on camera. They are. It's actually they magic. are. Maggie Chung is in those flying snow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It is art in the best sense. Yeah, yeah. And that's it, where. Might not be the best story. I don't really care. It's it is strictly the technical prowess and the visuals they were able. And to that's kind of why I want to go back and watch it because I dumped it for the story. But looking back, it's like that wasn't the point. Yeah, they no. made art, and you don't watch art or you don't look at art for a story. Usually, you look at it for the gorgeous visual. Yeah, yeah and I and again, I did. think I will actually go back and watch that. Yeah. I think I'll try and do it this week so I can say something next time. Yeah. Um. And if I'm not mistaken, it also stands to be the most expensive martial, like Chinese martial arts film to come to date. That does not surprise me. I'm not me. positive if it's still there. It I'm stayed. Not sure. Like I said, I'm not sure. Like it did stay at, at it, it did stay at number one in American box office for two weeks, though. Yeah, that's impressive. For a if I'm not mistaken, film. it's the first one to ever open and do that. Yeah, it and then for it can, a foreign for a foreign starting Chinese. Crouching Tiger might have. Because Crouching Tiger was one of those that came out just before Hero and was like, whoa, hey, what's going on with these kind of movies? Kind of paved the way for it. Yeah. I know Quentin Tarantino was responsible for it even getting over here in the U.S. in the first place. Hey, you know what? Crouching Tiger, even? Hero. Okay. Yeah, because Crouching Tiger is directed by Ang Lee, which. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's weird. But Um, but yeah, 
Hero was Tarantino, I believe, because he worked on Sukiyaki Mushroom Dragon. Yeah, Hero, um, and that's mainly because, of course, Quentin Tarantino is just a huge fan of the genre in general. How are you doing, Kill Bill? Right. Um, <sighs> so, my number two is uh, from 2011. Uh, it's a Gareth Evans film. <laughs> Which one? Uh, starring Iko Uwas. Oase. Uwais. Uwais, thank you. Um, Foreign name. And it's an action thriller uh, what, called what year? 2011 called The Raid Redemption. It's about a SWAT team that ends up going into a uh, rundown tenement building run by a mobster and his army of killer thugs. No, it's not necessarily. I say we gotta can that because I think that's gonna come up. Oh, no, it's actually not. No, okay. Cool. Yeah, this is the first one. I wasn't sure if number two was going to come up pretty soon here. I'll get my reasons for it in a minute. Um, so, I liked the second one. However, this one has always stuck with me um, since the moment I saw it. I absolutely loved it. Whether it was uh, the parts where he's helping keep this the one SWAT officer alive by, by hiding in the wall. Uh, or the fact that he's fighting between floors literally through the floor. Uh, you can make a very good case for the first Raid movie being a horror movie. Almost, yeah. Like, it is It is close. It is terrifying the fact that what these SWAT officers had to deal with in order to go in to try to take down one person. Yeah, one kingpin. Essentially. Yeah, one kingpin, one higher up of the criminal underworld. Holy crap. The biggest thing that makes me think horror is actually the in the wall scene where the guy's just stabbing the machete through yep. and actually manages to cut him. Yep. That scene is more tense and terrifying than a lot of modern horror movies. Which is true. But I mean, like, overall, like, the film itself is insane with the amount of high energy that's constantly going on. I mean, there's a reason why The Raid and The Raid 2 are just so well-known for their martial arts and everything like that. Because it's, like, beginning to end just nonstop tension and butt-kicking. <laughs> so lots of very pretty martial arts and that it's pretty yes. up. Um, it's it, also... It, it looks hyperkinetic. It yes. does. Because there's than a so. lot of, like flailing hands to try to distract attention. Yep. So they're not actually hitting each other much, but they're they're flailing around and you look like they're doing a, a lot, lot of a lot of what you would consider really good on camp. A lot of what you consider jabs from boxing. Yeah. It's a lot of those types of moves meant to distract more than actually hurt or break through a guard yeah. so you can bring in the actual punch. Yeah, exactly. Um and that particular style, I don't remember if we covered this earlier, is actually native to or indigenous to Indonesia. I don't think we mentioned where it was from, though. Yeah. So, um, which, for me, I like always knowing, like, where the different martial arts styles come from. For me, it's interesting, because I'm, like, the history guy, you know? It is. You know? And I will say that it does, the first raid does take place in Indonesia, in Jakarta specifically. Yeah. Um, another really cool thing that I found out, too, was all the SWAT guys actually went through the, um... I think it was the Korean Naval Special for Special Ops training 
for everybody who played a SWAT officer. Oh, that's cool. To actually learn all the proper hand movements for signaling, all the proper uh, ways to handle a weapon, and then for stacking and moving and everything like that, they actually had to go through that proper training. Yeah, you know, I won't lie. Thinking back, none of it kind of broke. It's like, oh, why would they do that? It's like, no, everything kind of looked on the up and up. Yeah, like they were straight doing that, which was insane to think about. And for the for the actual martial arts aspect, they were training for at least nine months. Oh yeah. So that in case when it happened, someone accidentally hit someone else during the next take, they wouldn't go, "Okay, you hit me, I'm gonna hit you, buddy." There was that nine months was used to build a trust between everyone, yeah. so they could act like adults. Yeah, and they knew not to take anything personal if somebody slipped and messed up. Exactly. Um. Something else that I never realized before um, watching some of the special features for this film was actually the fact that all of the guns they used were actually airsoft replicas, <laughs> and that all the gun flash and everything and the uh, shell injections and everything like Post. that were all digitally put in later. It's it's an Asian. It's one of the very few things that they use digital in. It's yeah. it's an Asian country. Real hard to get even like fake prop guns, but. See, like, me not being, um, not knowing that because I don't watch a whole lot of stuff outside of more period pieces. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I just don't learn. Yeah, like, I wouldn't have known that. So, like, for me, that's super interesting to find out, oh, they're using airsoft guns. Holy crap. And to, like, see the, at, like, actions being, hearing that the actions are actually, like, digitally put in later is insane to me yeah it, it doesn't look it either that's, no it doesn't that's kind of that's gorgeous cool part. i will i i will have to ask what's the fight scene that says everything about the movie to you because <sighs> i'm gonna hazard i know which one gosh um i want to say that it's probably the hallway scene i got one the hallway scene is probably one of my favorites um however there's the scene just after everybody gets taken out from the SWAT team, basically. And he's got his buddy, like, hide, uh, hidden away in the one... Um, oh, the machete gang? Are you talking about... Where they're going through, and he's got the one officer, like, hidden away still in the one apartment. Yeah. And he goes off to try to, like, figure out how to get everybody... Get him out. Yeah, the one that starts immediately after that. Yes. Yeah, the machete yeah, gang. Yeah, the machete gang with the... The head and the door jam. Yes. Because it twitched. Yep. 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 Oh, it's so brutal. I call that guy Rufio the entire time. That guy just <laughs> reminds does. me of he, Rufio. He looks like Dante Bosco. Yeah. yeah. Those scenes are just insane because it, I, I don't think they were continuous shots. Uh, the one with them coming down the hallway and him like single hand, like literally single handedly stabbing everybody and yeah. like getting into the into the apartment that is all one shot was it okay. and it's amazing i think it was like one camera movement that was broken up once because i know that they did a lot of um th i know that they had trouble with like the lighting and everything like that because the cameras did oh like a 180 a lot of the times so they had to actually get lighting crews that moved with the cameras on with the lights on poles oh yeah so i thought that was also very interesting i'm like the fact that they again, another thing that they do that I you don't necessarily see them doing for uh, Western fight movies movies at all wow. is taking that extra mile. Yeah, but yeah, no, like just the raid in general is just amazing for me. It, it's always stuck with me since the first time I saw it. 
I saw it originally April, like early to mid April 2012. Okay. Premiered here in America. Um, and it was one that I saw like the midnight showing because I'm like, this just looks awesome. And I immediately went back and saw it again the next day at seven with another friend of mine. Then I saw it the next day on Saturday. <laughs> and then it came to the film festival. And you saw it again. And of course I went and saw it again. <laughs> Best friend and I went and saw it and we both loved it, even though we had both seen it three or four times and I had it on DVD. Oh, it doesn't matter. It's awesome. Amazing. And then it came to the theater. Yeah. And I watched it in the theater. Like it came to an actual like big theater and not just like the little art house theater. And I went and saw it twice there. So I ended up seeing this movie six times in theaters at, and like I had gotten the DVD halfway through this. <laughs> It's so it good. Just, yeah. It was, and the one that speaks to me and the one I thought you might have said, though the hallway is definitely good. Yep, Mad Dog. Yeah. That yeah. one at the end, the the, the two on one versus Mad Dog. That that exhausts me watching it. That that is a testament to the amount of energy that goes into their fight scenes. It's and so good. To me it's the drug the uh the drug den. Oh, that one, yeah. Yeah, yeah where they're running through and bounding over tables. It's almost like an intercut, but yeah, I completely yeah. see what you're talking and about. And like, yeah. they're all just doing their thing. And they lose the guns about 10 minutes into this movie. <laughs> but that's not... <laughs> they run out of ammo 10 minutes into this movie. That's not a just, bad thing. Yeah. Because they're shooting everywhere. I love... I just like absolutely love. I love Mad Dog versus uh, the Captain. Oh, that's a great. Yeah. Just the one on one and the the whole thing about I don't like shooting people. It's like ordering takeout. I love that. <laughs> he has line. a he has a philosophy for it. I I like that. Yeah. Yeah, and actually, I like that you see that guy that plays Mad Dog in John Wick Three, and he's in uh, Raid Two well, as the hobo. But yeah, it's, I love that he has a philosophy, and yeah. even at the like, he wants a good fight, and at the end, that's what he does. He lowers the brother because it's like, oh, I'm gonna get a fight. Yeah, cool. Let's yeah. do this, buddy. And the guy, Mad Dog, and Rama, the eco wise main character, the two uh, choreographers. Oh yeah, yep. and they they're do, also uh, the choreographers from Force Awakens. Yep. Ooh, they got not so terrible for that. No, but, but it's still they got they they didn't really do much. They're uh, in Force Awakens for as, about five seconds. Oh, I don't know anything to what Kanji Gang or whatever yeah. or Kanji Club. Tell that to Kanji Club and then walk the two. I'm like, oh, oh. yeah, this is not gonna end well. Yeah, yep. But out. Yeah, yeah, I just thought that was a cool little cameo. Yeah, great, <laughs> yep. great movie though, right? So. Uh, I think we can hazard a guess as to where I'm going with this one. I don't know. It is, very interestingly enough, a 2014 Indonesian action That's film. Right. <laughs> directed and written, directed, and edited by Gareth Evans. <laughs> <laughs> the Raid 2, Barandal. Yo. Or Barandal, how would you that? Barandal, yeah. Barandal. <laughs> I love the raid. Yep. Again, I I personally think the end fight in that one is slightly better than everything else in this one. I very much slightly. Oh, that's close. The it, last it, fight. It really it, it kind of bounces back and forth. I'm not gonna lie, Devin. I like a lot more of the fights in this one, and I love the story. I mean, that's fair. I can't argue with you on that one. The only problem with me is and. Probably the reason why I went with the first one instead of the second one is because of the fact that I've only gotten to see the second one once. And that's completely understandable. The second one is very much, to me, Asian Godfather. 
Yeah, makes sense. And you know what? I hated the Godfather movies. Cannot watch through them. But I absolutely, I absolutely love this one, even though it very much follows a similar plot. But because of the way it addresses everything and the action involved in it, I love this movie. Yeah. It starts out brutal and does not stop. Right. Yeah. It, it, First, a guy takes a pickaxe to the head. Yep. Yeah, I, I've told the story about the fact that this came out the same day as Rio 2. And some people didn't and, realize uh, the difference whoever between... Whoever was giving away tickets that, or telling people which place to go for tickets that weekend. They, um, yeah, that was me. Yeah, they, they should have got it fired, right, Tom? Uh, no, because I caught it before it happened. <laughs> Not all of them. No, I caught four groups in our theater. <laughs> well, hold on, hold on. <laughs> We're supposed to be in Rio 2. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Yeah, but I, I caught it before the actual movie started. Oh, uh, not Mars. <laughs> Maybe that was a different time. That was a different time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when I, so, funny story. When I was actually working the f- opening day of it, we had Rio 2 literally next to the, on the computer next to the Raid 2. Alphabetical. Yup. Thanks, guys. Good old theater yeah. managers not know. looking at how they're putting stuff in the theater. It didn't help that it was like, 16 and 17, or yeah. <laughs> it was like right next to each other. Oh, and then it was, really should be grouped by by rating. Kind of, that was the other thing, like, there because we have such a large facility, there's the one hallway when you go down to the left, they were right next to each other there as well. <laughs> yeah, so the daytime, so the opening That's nine where I was like the 9 30 a.m. show, you had. Grandma and Grandpa taking the little ones to go see, uh... Go see an Indonesian killer film. <laughs> go see oh, Rio God. 2. Let's go see the parrot movie. In my theater, a fam... Or, there were, like... There was, like, a scout troop, and they realized pretty quickly when they showed, like, violent foreign horror movies, the trailers, they're like, nope, we're out. Um, <laughs> Everyone his, else? A dad and his, like, young son that were, like... The dad was like, I'm... Um, and then, like, raid started, and he leaned down to the kid, do you want to stay? And the son's like, yeah. And the dad's like, oh, thank God. <laughs> and then, and then, That's great. And then a mom and her daughter who oh, no. uh, got to, I don't think this is the right movie. And then pickaxe said, nope, bro. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Yeah. It was just hilarious, because, like, the, the son and the, the son had to be, like, eight, nine, maybe. <laughs> And like they were just loving it, and I'm like, awesome. <laughs> hey, you know what? It, it again. It's like I I love the story. Again, yeah. it's Asian Godfather, and the fights in scope are so much bigger. Like the prison riot, the prison riot, especially in the mud pit. Oh my god! Yeah, like, and that's one of those that has some of the most brutal, but very subtle. Like the guy getting his jaw torn off, and the, the jaw, like, the leg. Geez. Yeah, and there's just so much going on in that one. I. I love the Karambit fight with the assassin. Yes. The double fight with yeah. baseball bat boy and hammer girl. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like hammer, hammer girl. Ooh. <laughs> I've seen her in other things, and I really like her as an actress. Yeah, she's so. she was fun in this one. Yeah. But yeah, I, I completely agree. The end one, the Karambit. That, like I said, that balances back and forth with the one with Mad Dog. It really does. Yeah. Because the thing is, once the music kicks in, after it brings out the actual Karambit... Oh my god, it just feels so tense. Yeah, and it gets just more and more bloody as it goes in the It's fight. a t- it's a testing thing to where eventually at that at that end bit once the knife comes out 
any misstep and they are screwed. Yeah, I I much prefer that fight with Karambit to John Wick's fight because I feel like John Wick because the Karambit fighter and Mad Dog from the first one are the two that John Wick fights at the end of yep. end of John Wick three. And I feel like there was no contact in that fight compared to the Karambit fight, which was unbelievably violent and choreographed. They used everything. Like, oh, yeah. The one that gets me every time is when he grabs the assassin's head, slams it on the on the table, and slides it down. And you see the camera turn 90 degrees with him and fall back yeah. as he's getting his head slammed. It's like, wow, that it's that little touch that makes you feel like, oh, God, oh, God, my face. Yeah, or I think this is also the one where they, like, it might be Mad Dog in the first where they keep slamming someone's head into the ground, but they do it again and like they hit the hit the ground and then like the guy still like hits the ground, hits the ground, hits the ground, and then like something wrote or like turns on him and gets thrown against something, hits him against like the 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 side of an oven or something or against the actual wall. Of yeah, because well, oh he grabs him with God. his foot. Yeah. He grabs him with his foot, slams him into the side of the uh, tables. Yeah, and it's just, Jesus, there's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, that's that's the Karambit one, because yeah. he slams him, slams him, gets knocked over, grabs him with his feet, slams him again. It is insane. Yeah. The only other, the the, the one that also comes into my mind, just because of how much you need to go into it, the car chase. Yeah, the car chase, it is one of those that is subtly one of the best shot car chases I've ever seen. Yeah, because so. I definitely agree that the first raid, 100% worth all the praise it's getting. I just think that the scope of some of the fight scenes in 2 push it that little extra bit above it. Though, again, the end fight scene for both movies, I bounce back and forth on which one's better. It depends on the feeling that day. They are both high quality. I personally, because of how much... It initially impacted me and like my friends who I went and saw it with and all that. I would say the first raid. I also love the fact that it's it's a bottle drama. Oh yeah. It takes place in one location. Fairly minimal cheap. amount of people, minimal amount of crew ultimately. And while it doesn't tell much of a story, it is one of the most like just haunting like dark and visceral movies I've ever seen. Well, like I said earlier, yeah. it borders on a horror movie. Oh yeah if not outright into horror, depending on how you want to stress the definition. Yeah, and I love that the villain just goes out like a bitch. <laughs> That's <laughs> like, the best part. Ah, aha, you're going to you're gonna die and nobody's going to care. Okay, then she shoots him in the head. I <laughs> love like, that. It's so... But I love if you count uh, the quaking old guy's shots. He fires six shots and then goes to kill himself. And it's like one of those movies that is perfectly counted amount of bullets which that drama so much better i love when they count their bullets correctly that that yeah. drama where he goes to take him out and he can't and then you just see rama it's like yeah. oh oh shit this is not good for me yeah that realization is gorgeous yeah so that's mm-hmm. like i said yeah it, we again that's a good one but i again love the love the whole setup and story of two <laughs> And I won't lie, the ending kind of set up that maybe there's going to be a three, but... <laughs> nope. <laughs> um, and real quick, I do have to agree with you, Devin. I do very much appreciate when the people who are in charge of props and everything like that, and, uh, whoever does the 
continuity stuff does keep track of number of bullets. Yeah, because I've noticed that a lot that they'll just be rattling off shots and then be like, oh no, I have to reload. I'm like, damn, John Wick. You had like 25 bullets in that gun. Which what, which scene are you talking about specifically? Casablanca. Okay, that one. There I, are times where they either... Like, I love the fact that in, in that they do take time to show that he's stealing people's guns. Mm-hmm. So it's possible. There are times where in the shot he fires like twenty shots. Okay, I was going. Like, I was going mm-hmm. to ask because a lot of people point to the Sunwick three. Yeah, a lot of people point to the one and two at the end, but that one is actually counted exactly right. Where yeah. if if those if those are the correct models and the correct amount of guns have been fired and certain loaded, it actually does work out. But just yeah, and it it might be fine in. John Wick 3, but I just noticed that in Casablanca. I'm like, man, has it been a while since he reloaded? Then he immediately reloads. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, hmm. Anyway, so what's yeah. your number one? Or what's what's one of your biggest ones? Uh, My number one, and this is one that would be solidly up there. It would be up there with Crouching Tiger for sure. Up there with Rush Hour 2, but I've... Rush Hour 2 is one that I've gone on and on about. So. It's a fun one. And I'd, I'd love to say Matrix. I'd love to say any Jackie Chan film. You know, any of these, I'd love to say Unleashed with Jet Li. That's, that's an underappreciated one. That is such an yeah, underrated movie. I'd, I'd love, love to say Transporter, that. but it kind of falls apart when you watch it nowadays. <laughs> and then I'd love to say Who Am I with Jackie Chan. Okay. But I have to go with, if I can pull up the date here, uh, the 2010 uh, South Korean action movie called The Man From Nowhere. I need to watch this mm, one. So that, that's probably going to be my homework for this week is Man From Nowhere and Seeing Hero again. Yeah. Uh, Man From Nowhere is about a quiet pawn shop keeper with a violent past, soldier, uh, takes on a drug and organ trafficking ring in hopes of saving the child who is who is his only friend. Oh, that's so sad. <laughs> he's he's like living, as a, living in this quiet little thing. He's like the pawn shop at the base of like an, an apartment complex. And there's just this sweet little girl who I've seen in other things, including Brand New Life. And if you haven't seen Brand New Life, unbelievably well done. Very slow. Very slow. Um, <laughs> that's it's hard. Damn, to, it's hard to not say that movie is slow, but she is amazing in if it. If you're saying it, that's that's yeah. damning. But um, but the girl, uh, Jung Sumi, or just Sumi, uh, <laughs> is like this this really nice quirky little girl that's like will give give him her uh mp3 player as like the pawn shop because she doesn't understand how it goes in order to like hang out and talk with him and he's just okay are you do you want food <laughs> kind of thing <laughs> and like we'll just make her food and of course the mom hates him and all this time about, what age out of curiosity about 10 12 eh, 8 9 10 somewhere in there Oof. and like she just doesn't sadder and sadder. She just doesn't have any friends, and just wants to hang out with this guy that is like moody and he guy's probably thirty ish. You know, he's he's moody and he's like hiding his background and all this. And he used to be a soldier, and now he's just like, I don't want to do anything. Be left alone. Well, the mom is a drug addict. Court gets oh, no. gets caught by gets caught stealing. And to prove a point, they steal the daughter. Retribution. You get the idea. Yep. I'm not going to give away much more of the story. Um, but yeah, it is in line with like Old Boy. It's in line with all of these other like 
Handmaiden and just visceral revenge thrillers like Chaser I've mentioned a little while ago. Mm. That's the big thing I've noticed with like the Asian revenge films is that particularly South Korea. They are dark and they are vicious. Which they is are pissed. I won't lie. That actually kind of reminds me of when you first described John Wick to me before mm-hmm. I went and see it. Is that it's got very much the feel of those yeah. Korean revenge flicks where and you know what I have to agree it's that he gets like understatedly pissed and then just ends everybody yeah and the guy uh, his name is um, Cha Taishik or Taishik throughout the whole movie mm-hmm. um, he goes after the guys like goes after the people that took her and just wrecks shop finds out that they are harvesting children for body parts basically like i said it gets dark um and of course they get to a point where how much you want to go into this because i don't really mind it they roll over a vial filled with two eyeballs so you figure that out and he loses it and just starts knifing everybody in the room (laughs) that's a sentence this fight scene is on par with the karambit fight Wow. It's not as one-on-one, but he is just mowing down people. Oh. And it ends up as, like, two hunting knives clashing. So it's kind of what old boys should have been. Yeah, it's like a lightsaber fight between two people with hunting knives. (laughs) It's just, oh, my God. And it's just brutal and violent, and I absolutely love this like movie. Like I said, that kind of reminds me of that the old boy hallway scene and how it should be, because I, I genuinely be, liked the hallway scene. I'm going to be one of those ones I don't. Guy. I liked it. I love the way it was shot. The, it the, looks cool, but... Yeah. yeah. I'm going to be one of those guys I haven't seen old boy. Mm. You're not missing much. Watch the original. <laughs> I, if I was going to watch any. Don't, don't watch the, the Thanos and... Uh, I wasn't going to watch no. Crawler. Yeah, I, I will. I will also cool. say, if you don't, you're really not missing much. Uh, I do love uh, the director the for the for the Vengeance trilogy, but no, it's but. it sounds interesting. I like I said, I heard you. I've heard you gush about it. Yeah. If I could use that word, and it's not as much like an overall act, like martial arts action movie. Um, it has martial arts in it, and it has quite a bit of it. It's just it's more focused on this guy who's like. There's something going on with them, and you don't particularly know what, but the guy has problems. Well, I, I get and from everything I'm, eventually, I, but yeah, I would kind of classify that almost in the the same strain as Unleashed. Yeah, like yeah, there's there's martial arts action and it's good action. Yeah, but that is not really the focus. The focus yeah. on the story of a broken person. This is definitely how Taishik deals with losing his only friend, and even that. It's him clinging on to the hope that the only person he actually cares about in this... Because, yeah, he, he's kind of like that aloof, like, nah, okay, go away, kid. But at the same time, he's also like, he'll constantly give her back her, her MP3 player and be like, no, you can have it. It's fine. And, like, you can tell, you know, he, like, likes her. He's he's protective of her. So I guess the biggest yeah. question I have to ask is, typical Korean sad ending or actual happy ending? I'll be honest, I can't remember. You're a oh, bastard. <laughs> Oh boy. <laughs> You're a legit a bastard. So, in other words, in other words, we've got a movie to watch because <sighs> it's one of those that, depending on your interpretation of the ending, it can go either way. You know what? I'm happy with that. Does he snap or does he not? Is your is the real question? Because 
throughout this movie, he is getting progressively more just unhinged. Unhinged. And he gets to a point where if he has snapped, that's one ending. If he has not snapped, it's a different ending. If he has snapped and he's not seeing things the way that they are, it's definitely not a happy ending. You know what? That's like fine that. by me yeah. because my interpretation can be a happy ending. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's like with the thing. Did they make it? Yeah, sure they made it. Happy ending. <laughs> and also, this is the one movie that I've ever seen them do bulletproof glass correctly. Oh, because it's not bulletproof, it's bullet resistant. And he shoots so a, a guy gets in a car and he shoots at the guy and it pings off and the guy's like yelling, Ah, you asshole! Bulletproof glass! And he just goes up and he sets the gun exactly where he just shot, shoots again. Guy's still laughing. Shoots again. Bullet actually actually ricochets and hits part of his face. Like, gives him a little cut. Keeps shooting, and then eventually punctures a hole through it. And the guy stops laughing. Yep. Shoots him in the face and walks away. <laughs> like, oh, that is so great. <laughs> that That is how you use something. Yeah. And it's like, I love that because the guy's smart enough to know that he just shoot through the glass. <laughs> Again, it's bullet resistant. Eventually, as long as you're not using like a 22, it's yeah, gonna get some, through. Some handgun, but yeah. yeah. No, it's, probably, it's probably a 9 mil. Nine yeah. mil. It's gonna get through eventually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that, uh, just overall, the entire story is just really well done. I love the main character, and I love the the way it unfolds, and there's I could go off on awesome Korean thrillers. You know, Chaser, I love the Vengeance trilogy. Handmaiden was amazing. I will say, a lot of the, I'd even say just non-American ones, seem to seem to allow more darker endings. Yeah. And they don't I, need that Hollywood ending. And I'm, I'm fine with, yeah. And I'm fine with that, and it's, it's almost refreshing, which is, yeah. which... I think people now are are starting to be more okay with because big one look at Infinity War. Yeah, that's a dour ending, but a lot of people loved it. That's a dour ending, but at the same time, it sets up the possibility of hope. Yeah, and, and I think that I think that's the key, though, is that if you want to have a downer ending but not completely go as hard and deep, it's like you have the possibility of hope of moving on. Yeah, and I have a few few of the Korean thrillers. But the villain that's... wins. Like, old boy, the villain kind of wins in that one. Yeah, I won't lie. That's, I, I'd agree with that. Chaser, <laughs> villain doesn't win, but he has the lose. heroes don't exactly win either. <laughs> yeah, the villain doesn't exactly lose. He does what he wanted to do. And you know Seven. what? That's a win. <laughs> Seven, American, but villain wins. Oh, my God. So, yeah. I yeah. love movies where the villain actually does what he does. Thanos wins. Infinity War. He won. Yeah. Yeah. Even in Endgame, they now realize what happened. Yeah. And Thanos won. So to yeah. me that I love when a villain wins. And I love when a villain winning when it makes sense for the story. That was gonna say it's like when a villain earns their win. Yeah. That, I don't that's like a when a villain just wins to be shocking. Haha, ha, my penis they, boom. I hate when they advertise that every that it wins too, because that just bothers the hell out of me. But yeah. A lot of these Korean thrillers, I love the I love the genre because you don't you you're not going in expecting the hero to just get away scot free. You're kind of wondering. Yeah. It's a mystery. Yeah, because yeah, like I'm not going to go into the next Spider Man movie saying, "Oh, I get oh Spider Man might die." And it's like, no, he's not. Right. Yeah. No. Like when 
you see a properly done villain or movie with a villain who wins, they're not going to advertise it and do all the other things. Because if it's done right, you won't even know that they won. You, life just goes on, and things have changed where they're now in charge or whatever has happened. Because you know that. what, that could actually probably be a topic. Where the villain wins. Yeah, it's oh, a spoiler. It's going to be a spoiler one. It's going to be a spoiler one, but uh, I'm done with it. To wrap up this topic, yep. Tom. So, to our previously canned uh, movie, my number one, Ip Man. <laughs> oh, right? yeah. yeah. Okay. Yep. It's like, what the hell was that other one? Right. So, uh, Ip Man came out in 2008. Uh, it's considered an action biography drama starring Donnie Yen. Uh, As the titular Ip Man. Yep. Directed by Wilson Yip. Uh, it takes place in uh, 1937 during uh, Japan's invasion of China. Yeah, the Chinese occupation. Yep. And uh, it revolves around Ip Man, who, if you don't know, is the guy responsible for uh, training Bruce Lee later on. Um, and Bruce Lee learning Wing Chun and eventually doing all of his martial arts stuff and learning a lot of his philosophy in life from this gentleman. Uh, and this particular one shows the first instance of Yip Man actually um, teaching a large group of people how to do Wing Chun uh, in defense of their home. He starts off very well off. He, I would say he's a very wealthy man to begin with because he doesn't really have to work. What's um, the word I can, I can use to describe it? Because he's well off. I, I'd also say a little standoffish. He likes yeah. to keep doing... He, recluse. That's the yeah. word I'm looking for. Well, I wouldn't so much to say recluse because he does have a wife and a child. That doesn't necessarily... Uh, and he does socialize with his friends. He just... He doesn't like to flaunt, I guess. That, I'd say that's a proper word for it. Yeah. He, he very much is uh, a more private person. Uh, I wouldn't say recluse because recluse makes me think he's just going to stick inside and become Howard Hughes, um, peeing in jars and never clipping his fingers or his hair. We're not on, but we're not unwrapping that. Keep going. <laughs> right. So, uh, and eventually, um, it starts off in 1935 and 1937, uh, it fast forwards to, uh, Foshan where, uh, the province that he's from, having been taken over by the Japanese and a particular Japanese general comes in and uh, wants to fight martial artists and show the superiority of Japanese martial arts over Chinese martial arts by having his soldiers fight these former martial artists from different work camps by bringing them and saying, hey, if you win, we'll give you rice to help feed you. You just have to fight for it and win. And ultimately, he ends up fighting this general. I mean, the fight sequences in this film are insane. It shows Wing Chun in an amazing light. I will also say it doesn't necessarily disrespect the other disciplines. No, not at all. It, not it's at not all. like many. It's like it's very obvious that Wing Chun is the. Uh, favored style, yeah. But I will definitely say that everything that's showcased is not disrespected because of that. No, which exactly. is a nice, which is a nice touch, right? And because Foshan is known um, as a martial art, a place for martial arts within China uh, at that time, and it's showcased within the film, 
as being having like its own martial arts district and this yeah is there's the place like a good go. six or seven styles showcase in that first half hour yeah absolutely and including having somebody who's from outside of the area coming in and saying oh well i'm going to flaunt my stuff and i'm going to beat all of these masters um and show them our whatever southern style or northern style yeah, whatever he's not sorry i want to set up want to set up in the big city yeah and as such he's going to flex on everyone to showcase yeah. we are the best exactly um and he's even got i don't even know what those giant sword things are called uh that he uses that looks like it's something out of uh final fantasy dynasty warriors yeah dynasty warriors something it is. Uh, it's a giant flat blade. Uh, it's it's insane looking, and the fact that this guy actually wields its nuts. It's similar to the halberd, but I cannot remember the name. That's yeah, it's essentially a giant piece of sharpened metal on a uh, with a handle. It's a pike. Yeah, uh, and the guy just wrecks people's faces with it, never actually striking fatal blows or anything like that, because he's not there to kill anybody. He's just there to show that he can be, his martial arts are superior. Um, which is the other thing that I really enjoy about this film, is that nobody's there to fight or kill, necessarily, um, when they're using their martial arts. They're there to have a competition and go, Okay, the competition's done. At worst, it's a grudge match. Yeah, we're gonna have we're gonna have an exhibition. It's gonna be a friendly match. Nobody's here to die or get seriously injured. Yeah, the killing stuff all comes from outside the actual martial arts. Yeah, exactly. Um, and one of the things that uh, really kind of drives this home, and it happened several times throughout the series, uh, but especially in this film, even is when uh, Donnie Yen's character Ip Man is fighting. Um, especially against the outsider in the very beginning of the film, he he beats him and and he beats him good. The outsider goes, "Oh, your superior, or your style is superior to mine." Blah 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 blah. And he goes, "It's not about superior style. It's about the person doing it and their understanding of it and everything like that." So it's not necessarily the style that's superior. It's you have to learn how to use and everything to your advantage and work with it and be everything, and, and just your understanding of it in general. Not the power of the of the style, the skill of the user. Yeah, exactly. And it, it's a nice way of like showing that there's a place in the world for all of these different styles, regardless. Uh -huh. Just like there's a place for everybody else. And I'm gonna ask because we've done it for a lot of a lot of the other ones. What would you say is is the fight to watch? Oh, I. As much as I like the end fight, I'm gonna say that the fight. This is tough. There's two of them that I really want to bring up. I know what one of them is, but the one I think that stands out the most is the early one on with the foreigner, because the fact that he takes that that feather duster reed and just spanks him literally with it. That's a fun one. Is great. However, there's a point where. It man goes and he's trying to find out what's happened to um, one of his former students, uh, or one of yeah one of his uh, for, well one of the young men who uh, he used to have uh, a good friendship with, and he's trying to find out what's what happened to him because he's disappeared. He hasn't, hasn't shown back up at the work camp, and uh, he goes to General Yamura and he goes, "All right, well, I think." He's he's pretty sure that he's, he come to the conclusion that the guy, kid's been killed, and so he goes fine. 
you want to see a fight? I want to fight 10 of your men. Oh, no, you're doing... That's wrong. It's the fact that his uh, friend, a fellow master, yeah, was, tried, to, tried to take on three because he saw Ip Man and wa- didn't want to like ba- back down and look like a pussy, which is kind of his problem. And he actually goes... He actually goes, I want to take three, loses a fight, still tries to take the rice, and then the general's second in command shoots him. Yeah, but... And that's what sets it off. Quan is also gone. Quan is dead at this point. I believe that, but that's the, the thing that definitely set him off was seeing his fellow master that's what, shot. That's what got him there in the first place. That's right, yeah. Um, and then he sees his fellow master get shot and killed. And realizes exactly what's happened to yep. both him and Quan, most likely. Yep, so at that point, he's like, all right, I'm going to take on ten of ten. you guys. And he goes, look, ten? All right. Squads A, B, and C, stand up and do your thing. And he... Annihilates. He wrecks their face, but at one point, there's a... The way he gets, he hits the guy, he makes him bend in a splits-style manner upward that makes it look like he, like, dislocated his hip outside of uh, where it was, and then on top of that, bent his knee backwards over his shoulder. How it... It doesn't look like it's a a real body. How it didn't break the person, I don't know. Right. Like, these guys have to be the most flexible people on the face of the planet. I don't care if they're gymnasts or not. The WTF. The only other one that comes close is, I want to say it's the last one, where he just rapid punches until until he suddenly stops, and the guy keeps twitching. Yeah. That's... And then I want to say that's the last one because then he just looks up at the general and goes, picks up the bloodied bag of rice from his his fellow master and just that and not the other 10 that he's won and walks out. Yep. It is a powerful scene and it is just exactly how far you can push someone who has that kind of skill. Yep. Exactly. Devin, anything you want to add? Uh, it, I'll be honest, Ip Man and its sequels kind of blend together for me. I mean, well, they are all I, a continuation of the story. I so. shotgun most of them within a couple of days. I shotgun them in one day, so I understand. And yeah, it's one of those that I do like them, but they're not—they don't really stand out to me. That's fair. I'm looking they, forward to the new one coming out this year. I didn't know there was a new one. Yeah. I saw Grandmaster, and I'm curious. Yeah. Like, I saw Grandmaster, same thing about Ip Man and all that. Uh, I've already mentioned the director, Zhang Yamal, so... Yeah. But I wasn't a huge fan of Grandmaster. Ip Man, honestly, a little forgettable to me. Just because, like, story saw it, know the story, and I'm like, okay, cool. But, like, nothing really stands out from it. And maybe it's just because I haven't watched it in quite a while, but it just... No, I I can understand it. Yeah, it's one of those that I'm like, I've seen a lot of this before. This is very well done, very well made, but okay, I get the point. It's too, I don't want to say, is it too grounded? I don't know. It's just, it never really landed with me. That's fair. I will also say the thing that is odd is the fact that the general that he takes on in the final fight in, in the first one, he... <laughs> The style he's using is what everyone thinks of as a karate. It's the yeah. the punches, kicks, all that sort of stuff. The actor who played him is actually a more accomplished in judo. So figure that out. 
Like, why why'd they do that and have him do the kicky-punchy when he's supposed to do the throwy-throwy? Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, it's I mean, there is definitely some crossover, but... Right. I don't know. All I know is, is that being, like, just the fight, the different fighting styles up against each other has just always been very impressive to me. Right. And how respectful everybody is in the films towards the other person regardless of the fighting style and who they are like overall they're just with the exception of the third one where it introduces western fighting the boxing like everybody's been like super respectful except for mike tyson's character who looks at it and just goes all right our fight's over with we did exactly what we said we were going to do have a great day now bye He's an interesting one. Yeah, like, but that's a whole that's a whole other yeah, issue. He was super respectful. Twister, on the other hand, the British guy, total d bag. Um, but that's that bravo, bravado that comes with most boxers. bravado, bravado, pride, honor, all that sort of stuff clashing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, no. So that's, that's why I chose my. That is my number one. I absolutely loved it. Um, and like I said, the fourth one I'm looking forward to. It's uh, this one takes one. place yeah, with. Yeah, where uh, he's coming to visit Bruce Lee, who set up uh, Wing Chun School in the I'm U.S. Curious. So, but that's that's our yeah, any honorable mentions that you I actually to throw out there. I do specifically the Undisputed series, All right. which a character in specific played by Scott Atkinson, who is actually a really good Western martial artist. His character is Uri Boyka, a <laughs> A Russian, I want to say mob guy, and the whole Undisputed series is set in prison fights. Okay. The third yep. one specifically focuses on Uri Boyka's yep. character, and it's got like half a dozen different styles from different countries. Yep. Uh, Scott is also going to be in Man 4, by the way. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, so super yeah. excited. I would definitely say the Undisputed series, especially number three, I don't really think you have to watch one and two to get three since it focuses on the side character okay so i would definitely choose that one i've only seen the first one and it's been so long since i've seen it i would i would suggest three because it's a it's a fun romp and again he goes up against like four or five different styles including capoeira which is one of those rare ones that doesn't pop off much yeah well, but either you have an honorable mention? Uh, my honorable mention would be Kung Fu Hustle by Stephen Chow. <laughs> uh, I just, it's one of those that kind of, similar to a Jackie Chan, but a little bit more Looney Tunesy. y um, It blends comedy with action, and I just love the kind of weird, quirky humor of it. And I love the, the scene where he goes to throw the knife and he stabs his friend in the shoulder. And then he, he like... He, Oh, okay. And then still goes through with the throwing motion and hits the, the woman in the face of the handle of the sword or of the knife, turns back and realizes his friend has a knife inside of him, and then and then pulls out the knife to go throw it and the friend freaks out so puts the knife back in him. <laughs> and then goes to pick up something else and goes to throw again and then gets the next knife stuck in him. Ah, uh, you know, that kind of thing. I just love that kind of humor and it's just really weird and quirky, like runs and they run like Looney Tunes. And it's just, I enjoy Stephen Chow's style. It's it's one of those weird, you funny... You mentioned him earlier when you were talking about Jackie Chan. It's kind of the only one that's come close. He's the only one that's kind of tried. Like, Jackie Chan does more Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin. 
and Stephen Chow does does more like almost slapstick, but with some weird dark humor thrown in there. Like he also did Shaolin Soccer. And it's all about just a bunch of martial artists that want to play soccer. And it's like, hey. it's fun. <laughs> it's dumb as hell, but it's fun. And I absolutely love Kung Fu Hustle. Uh, all the different, like, le- the landlord lady with the, like, voice that can break glass. And then the, the various, like, champions. And it's just a fun movie. Like, cool. Yeah. Tom, you got one you want to um, pop up that you didn't put on the list? Also great music. Yeah, actually, um, just because it's always been one of my favorite Shanghai Nights. Nights over noon? Or Shanghai Noon. Sorry, Okay, good. Phew. Shanghai Noon. As much as I love young Aaron Taylor Johnson, man. Yeah, Shanghai Noon. Sorry about okay. that. Yeah, that, um, was the, that was definitely the better structured story. Yeah. yeah. However... Like you said, Littlefinger is a villain. However, I also have to admit that I also very much enjoyed uh, Around the World in 80 Days, which also oh has... Oh, my God. I would not... Schwarzenegger. I would not consider that a martial arts film. Other. It's not so much. However, it does have Jackie Chan in it, yeah. who does have some martial arts stuff that he does. Because uh, it's Jackie Chan. If we're going to go that far, uh, we'd have a... I could say Green Hornet because Stephen Chow plays Kato. Or you could say Green Hornet because Bruce Lee played... Kato. I could say the remake with Seth Rogen. <laughs> I'm fair. probably one of the four people left on this earth that have somehow went and saw that. That somehow made that mistake. Yeah, pretty much. Saw yeah, it in 3D. That's terrible 3D. Good good why? Some of the worst 3D I've ever seen. Um, that you says know. something. But yeah, so so okay. that, those are mine. But yeah, as far as Shanghai Noon, I would pick Rush Hour over Shanghai Noon. That's fair, but I really um, like Owen Wilson. I like, yeah. I like the I like Owen Wilson more than Chris Tucker, but I like Rush Hour more than uh, Storyline, Story-wise and comedy-wise, I would agree with you. Overall, acting-wise, I would prefer Shanghai yeah. Noon. It's, isn't that weird? Yeah, I'd <laughs> yeah. say Rush Hour 2, Shanghai Noon, Rush Hour 1, Shanghai Nights, Rush Hour 3. Yeah, oh. I can agree with that. Because, like, I just absolutely love Rush Hour 2. I love Shanghai Noon. I, I like Rush Hour 1. The first one's way I more like of a nights. <laughs> I kind of hate Rush Hour 3. <laughs> but but I will say Rush Hour 1 is definitely more of a thriller, a political thriller than yeah, it is yeah. a martial arts film. Yeah, Whereas sure. 2 definitely took the wackier route. A dude from... with a young 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 female friend that gets gets kidnapped. Sounds familiar. Who yeah. then in the third one tries to sex him up. I mean... <laughs> um, also too, yeah, yeah, uh, for those quirky... Bad martial arts films. Sidekicks. Thanks, Chuck Norris. Mm. I'm not going to go into that. So, oh, that's so this. Journey, Journey to the West, if you haven't seen it, is really well done. I have not Joe, seen it. One of his later movies. All right. Cool. So, what so. comes out next week? Uh, well, movies that come out this week, this Toy week Story 4 right? and Child's Play. Super Again. excited for People are going to see Story Toy, Toy Story 4. Child's Play is going to bomb. Um, coming out next week is Annabelle Comes Home. Woohoo. Oh, and wow. yesterday about the guy who is looking the only forward to that. Can remember the Beatles. Yeah, you know what? I saw an actual trailer for it, and I want one. I'm kind of curious. Yeah, I I'm not a huge Beatles fan. I kind of miss that train. Being Same. Well, I'm not. Age, but I'm not a Beatles fan either. I I also I'm gonna say this. I don't really get the hype. I get the hype for the time period. It, it, they're I don't know. It, they're they're good. They're just not. Like something I would turn on at any time. They've got a couple of good songs I like. Yeah, 
Yeah. But no, I will say the, the movie actually is taking an interesting thing because I'm like, how could be the only one that's gonna that's remembers the Beatles? Oh, alternate dimension. Yeah, yeah, I like that idea, and I'm curious to see where they go with it. I also like I that he has the ethical dilemma, at least shown in the trailer, and they're probably definitely explained in the movie Hopefully. of us uh, like, should I do this? Should I not? And then my thought philosophy is the fact that I hope it kind of gets brought to his attention. It's like it helped whatever you want to say about it, define a generation. It changed a genre. Like, so, my dad's favorite band, hands down. So why was you... That age. Yes, right. is, it, is it your music? No, it's not. But do you really want to deny a world that hasn't had that something this monument is that changed history? Yeah. Hey, dude. I mean, hey, Jude. <sighs> hey, that's, dude. That's, uh, that scene hurts. Right. I'm sure it hurt them recording it. Yeah. Right. At the same time, I'm sure they were looking at it going, oh, face palm. Oh. So, yeah, I, I won't lie. I'm actually, I might actually see that in theaters. I'm not going to say yeah. I will, but I, if I'll, I do, it, I think I might enjoy it. I'll probably yeah. see it in theaters. I'll probably see it. Uh, I, I have a few things to catch up on before, you know, kind of before it gets too deep into um, summer here. So. Yeah, uh, well, next that... week's kind of a down week because the week after is Spider Man. So yeah, so yeah. that's what I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, but with, with that, with that, I'm James. I'm Tom. And I'm Devin. And this has been the In the Can podcast. We'll be back next week. Uh, throughout this week, go see movies. Uh, don't forget to check us out on Facebook and Twitter. And uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, if you like what you hear, leave us a comment. Let us know if there's anything in particular you want us to uh, talk about. If you can think of any cool topics that we haven't already discussed, let us know. Or yeah. we topics that we can throw at Jenny to, you know, figure <laughs> out her vacation. Yeah. Jen Ed, why not? Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> we'll be back uh, next week. Ha ha. Take a drink. All right. We'll be back next week. 